behind dank walls. A nightmare world of horror as a rotting corpse crawls from the earth to terrify the living. And butchery awaits. Beware of barren blood. The eyes, Leon. What color are the eyes? Changeable, my lady. With my candlelight. Barren blood. He earned his name through torture. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 216 of the 22 Shots and Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live and direct. And we got the grumpy old man Dave, also known as Mr. Parker, in the house tonight. And the 22 Shots Collective would like to welcome back to the show for the very first time a man that needs little introduction. I've been a fan of this man's work for many, many years. The creator of The Hornies, the one and only horror film award show. An artist and a lead singer of multiple metal bands. A fellow collector of physical media, both vinyl and movies. A horror film encyclopedia. An actor, writer, and producer. And craft beer enthusiast, the headbanger, Tom. Also known as Horseball. What's going on, guys? Hello. Not much. Moods, I'm going to have you do my funeral. <laughs> but you won't that be was, able to hear was, it. That was pretty amazing. It doesn't matter. Everyone else is going to see how what a great life I led. Yeah, Thank man. You, sir. Yeah, that was uh, that was me throwing the flowers because uh, you got to give respect where you know where it's due. Um, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure being here with you two guys. Love you both. Yeah, it's Thanks. honestly, man. This is this is like a really this is kind of like a dream show for myself because we've got like two YouTube legends here and then myself. So this is this is like really cool, man. Because I, I was I was fans of you guys, right? And inspirations for me even doing YouTube and things like that. So. But uh, that's awesome. Man. Thank you for having me. And uh, I feel the same towards you guys, of course. And what better way than on Italian Horror Month? More specifically, yeah. Mario Bava. Yes, who happens to be my favorite filmmaker. So, right, right. This is actually Mario Bava Volume 2. We did a Mario Bava show, I think, years. This is Italian Horror Month Volume 7. I think we did Mario Bava, I want to say year one or year two or something like that. So, if you're wondering why the films are what they are tonight, we'd actually done. Uh, what did we do? Black Sunday, Blood and Black Lace, and I believe Bay of Blood. Bay of Blood. Yeah. So those are the three that were done before. So it's, I, I didn't know that you had told me the three films tonight, and Dave, you told me Dave picked them, but I didn't know like if it was deliberate or what. But I think they're just coincidentally a good like paradigm to his catalog, and that mm-hmm. I think they're three more gothic films, but they're oh, actually yeah. three very different ones, though, so I thought it was kind of cool when you told me the the three films. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, w- the way we pick Italian Horror Month is that uh, we each pick a director, and then we pick their specific films, and sometimes we'll let the group pick the other one and stuff, but this year we ended up picking all four weeks, and whoever was their director, we picked their specific films, and, and Dave went a little bit selfish this year, because he hadn't seen any of these three movies, which really did <laughs> shock myself. I couldn't that believe shocked it. shocked me. Yeah, when he told me I hadn't seen The Whip and the Body, I was like, you know, I get it, man. Maybe you haven't seen Burying Blood, or or um, Least in the Devil, but The Whip and the Body, though? I, I was shocked by that. Yeah, that one's totally up my alley, too. I love Christopher Lee. It's uh, it's right at the time frame. I don't know why I hadn't seen it. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, Baba, I neglected more than I should have. I watched, like, all Fulci and all Argento, and I watched a lot of cheapy movies. Like, that was my thing in Italian movies. And I've seen all the other Baba horror movies, except you guys are going to get even crazier when you tell you the one I haven't seen. Guess which one I haven't seen besides these. This is These are the last three, and then one more. Um, I mean, 
Which just one you think that I didn't watch it? Pay of Blood. Me a sh- no, no. shock. No, I've seen Shock for some fucking reason. <laughs> hmm. Shock was actually the first one I ever saw by him because I saw that I didn't even know who Mario Bava was when I saw that movie. Hmm. I five dollars for an August Moon. No, I watched that for 1970. The girl who knew too much. Yep. AKA the evil eye. It yep. seems it seems like most John Saxon. Yeah, John Saxon. It, it seems like most movie or most times you see that movie listed anywhere, it's always under the American title of Evil Eye, which is the the IP re edited version. Yeah, I actually haven't watched that version in a long time. I just rewatched this one the other night actually, and it's always you know considered to be like the start of the the Giallo. Really, this one's a little bit different, but you can see where the elements came from with the later Giallos and stuff. And um, it's a good movie, man. John Saxon, young. He's yeah. young and built, and yeah, it's Such pretty good looking. He's, he's always built. He's always yeah. built. Do you ever? Do you, do you guys ever see the John Saxon movie War Hunt? From like, I think it's got to be the '60s. It's like a war oh. film. He, he's nuts in it, and uh, fuck, somebody else is in that really young. Um, Tom Skerritt. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. He's like, he's pretty intense in it. Oh, the poor man's Burt Reynolds. <sighs> no, the poor man's uh, Sam Elliott. Or Sam Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> I always thought like, I like Tom Skerritt, but I always call him the poor yeah, man. I like all those guys. Burt Reynolds, mustache yeah. power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw Tom Selleck in the mix. You got four four mustachios. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I was just talking about Tom Selleck the other day because I had, had watched uh, Terminal Island. And I, I realized it was Tom Selleck in there, but he didn't have a mustache, right? It was like a really early role for him. I was like, holy well, shit, Tom man. Selleck then. Tom Selleck without a mustache is just weird to me. It's strange. Yeah. It's like Bert. He's in the longest yard and deliverance without his mustache. You're like, get the fuck out of here. Go get your mustache. Well, the whole thing is weird because it's kind of like an exploitation film a little bit. It's, it's kind of like, have you, have you ever seen it before, Tom? Terminal no. Island? Yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much like Lord of the Flies with um, with adults. The storyline is where they put these hardened criminals onto this island that they can't get off of, and of course they separate into two different groups, and a lot of people die, and there's a lot of tits and stuff. So no escape. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much it. But then Tom Selleck is in this film without a mustache, and it's it's really bizarre to see. So I'm intrigued. A, yeah, was that a Stephanie Stephanie Rothman movie? I have no she idea. Did a few, I think it is. She's always on podcasts, <laughs> and she did like a handful. She did that in Velvet Vampire. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Right. I think it is her. Right. Yeah, actually, Vinegar Syndrome put out the, uh, oddly enough, put out a 4K of this movie. Like, <laughs> they, that's the thing with Vinegar Syndrome. They're, they're the very bizarre label because they're just like, yeah, we need a 4K of ticks and Terminal Islands. It's like, okay, that's what the world they needs. They just do it. When they make their own scam, they're like, we got a 4K. Will this sell? They're like, ticks, ticks sold, man. Ticks on 4K is, it's like so fucking weird. It just like justifies all my like stupidity as a kid when people are like, nobody likes them crampy horror movies. And I'm like, we'll see. We'll see what's on 4K. <laughs> they're at the point fucking- now, though. Vinegar Syndrome's at the point where, with their reputation, and deservedly so, though, that they can yeah. put anything out yeah. and put it in a nice slipcover and people will be all over it. Yeah. yeah, you know, for me, man, I mean, the slipcover game is one aspect of collecting. I mean, people go absolutely ape shit crazy over slipcovers and stuff. Yeah, Vinegar Syndrome, I think, does some of the better slipcovers out there and stuff. But for me, it's really about the film's transfers. Like, they they polish up some turds that are amazing. Like, absolutely. you know, like some of the movies that they release, yes, you know, the quality of the film, not really the greatest, but you watch it and you go, holy shit, like this company is on some special game right here. Like they're, they're doing some insanely amazing transfers and I don't even understand how they're doing them so well. Like you look at a movie like Terminal Island, I imagine back in the day, if you watched it in the driving or whatever, it's probably looked like shit. It probably did, but it looks fucking beautiful, like absolutely beautiful. And you're just like, oh man, I mean, same with ticks. I haven't watched the 4k yet. I do have it, but 
I'm curious. I to see. just watched Tex last night. Oh, did you? How did Carlton yeah, look? Did he look? It, it did pristine? look. Oh, he looked fantastic. <laughs> I recently Seth just rewatched. Green, uh, oh, yeah, Seth Green's in it too. I always forget that. Right. Yeah. Is there anybody else in that? With uh, oh, fucking Clint Howard's in it. I'm in yeah, oh, Man, I haven't watched in a while. I still have the all the Blu-rays. So yeah, Such I haven't great seen effects. Such great Rance Howard's in it too. Rance is there too. Yeah, early '90s goodness right there. That's awesome. Uh, I, I recently rewatched Mosquito for 94 and I had not seen that movie since I was like fucking 15 and it was the blast. Like the first 10 minutes I was like, I don't remember this being this fucking stupid. And then like 20 <laughs> minutes I was like, I'm in. This feels like, like, uh, Sam Raimi boys did it. And then like, I start watching special features and I see Josh Becker pop in. I'm like, yeah, the Sam Raimi kind of guys did do it. And I knew it was Michigan with all the Detroit shit. I actually have a lot of fun. Mosquito sitting on my coffee table, ready to watch. I haven't even really started into 94. I've been, Italian Italian month, I just I always like to just sit there and watch Italian films all month. Alright, so I think after probably December I'll probably get into the ninety four game. I'm not like overly that excited because I'm probably not gonna watch Rate Man part one to five like you have. You gotta watch two to four if you wanna get up dude. I'm telling you. They were making fun of me because I turned off Fear Street 94 because I couldn't take it. But then I watched four <laughs> Rate Man movies. Wait, let me, let me get a pen, Dave. What, what are the better Rate films? I need, I need to write this down. Um, they're all the same movie. Rate Man 1 through 4 so far are pretty much the same movie, except that Rate Man, uh, it's, you know, he uncovers corruption in different places. The first is politicians, of course. Like the second is doctors and, and nurses and stuff. And then the third is school teachers and um, uh, police officers. And then the fourth is, you know, a religious cult, which is really interesting because in 1994, Um Shirikyo was going around in Japan and stuff like that. A lot of the movies reflect that, like Angel Dust and shit, which is real cool, actually, that but those Rape Man movies were made in like five minutes. So they're like headline, headline, headline. And they're, they're touching the uh, important issues like we have nowadays, police corruption and religious cults. So you mean to tell me that these Rape Man movies are full of commentary? Yeah, but they're Apparently. also comedies and and justice through rape moods. It's uh, complicated. It's that that's, <laughs> it does sound very complicated. It's it's not complicated. It's complete horseshit. It's exploitation. But right, uh, I'm a piece of shit. Like I just I'm just like shaking my head and laughing because I'm just like I can't believe this exists. That's enough for me. Sometimes <laughs> that it exists and it shouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just watch one of them. I mean, I, I, I might as well. I mean, I might as well. I mean, there's not like there's an over-the-top abundance of films from 94 that I probably need to be checking out because when we when we, when we we pulled 94, I was like, well, that's kind of anticlimactic what my number one is because everybody knows my <laughs> love for Cemetery Man. I, I talk about it all the time. So I'm like, that's ridiculous. But Underground I, Banker, you should watch if you want a weird Hong Kong movie with Anthony Wong from 94. That's one that I thought was pretty great. Mm. But... uh there's a lot of SOV movies from 94. Yeah, there I'm is. Just, I grew up watching these, and I'm like, my list of top 10 is going to have more than one SOV movie on it? What the you know fuck? What's, you know what's actually kind of interesting? The uh, the sister label, The Vinegar Syndrome, has been putting out on their website. There is it is it Saturn's Core, the one? Is that the label? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's all the SOV films. There's like three or four from 94 that they've already released so out of like six titles. Three out of the four movies they put out, or five titles, are from 94. They I know. Shattered Dead, Psycho Sisters, and then there's a Sorority House. And those two, the Psycho Sisters and Sorority House, are from that uh, mayo, from that dude, Gary. Or what, what, what was that weird? company wave productions right they're, they're from those so they're gonna be those yeah like yeah. zombie mercenaries on cannibal island which is awful yeah i was excited that they put out psycho sisters because i've always wanted to check it out man i actually have the um 
I have the book, The Analog Nightmares, which is like the shot on video horror yeah. films of like whatever, the 82 to 95 or 96, whatever it is. And I remember reading about it and I'm just like, oh man, I got to check this out. Because I think it's literally about girls chopping off dudes' penises, isn't it? Is I don't, it, uh, yeah, they do chop off dicks, I think. Yeah. Well, I got to watch it too. It's like penis maybe, mutilation. Maybe I'm like, well, top 10. I'm like, that sounds interesting enough. <laughs> Done shot so on video is, style. Is, is Tina Krause in that one? She is, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 She could kill me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time we do the score, right, right. By the time we do the '94 show, who knows, man? That label might have put out like every shot on video from film from '94, so we might get lucky with these great transfers. Well, uh, they need to put out Savage Harvest from SRS, that's right? Another '94 one, and that's actually that's actually a good movie. So is that and Shattered Dead are back, both two of the best SOV movies ever made, if you ask me. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Tom. <laughs> and then you got AGFA who just put out Boarding House, which is like, okay, if you're ever going to watch Boarding House, never watch the full director's cut that's like two and a half hours long. It might be the worst thing you ever lay your eyes on. It's so painful. <laughs> Why is it two and a half hours? I was mad when I saw the Army of the Dead was two and a half hours long. I was really pissed off. Now, now can you imagine what I do in Boarding House? I had to watch two and a half hour Boarding House. Well, you, I've actually you, never seen Boarding House before. Neither. Well, if, if you are, if you're ever going to watch it, watch the shorter version, which is the better version of it, because it cuts out all the long, boring nonsense shit that you don't need to see. It, the, the director's cut has that syndrome. It has that indie director's syndrome where, you know, I shot all this footage. I'm going to fucking use it in my film type deal. Right. And like it, Wizard of Gore? Yeah, exactly. Well, then it, it and then <laughs> turns out to be two and a half hours long, and you're like, this is ridiculous, man. Like, you're forgetting things that are happening from, you know, passing the film because it's so long and boring. But, yeah, watch the watch the re-edited version that's shorter. It's actually not a bad movie. I don't mind Boarding House. It's okay. I mean, it's considered to be one of the very, very first ones. So it's, it's interesting enough for that. And Sledgehammer, right? Yeah, and Sledgehammer. Yeah, and Sledgehammer is, is is a great example of another shot on video film that does the same thing. It has like long, long slow mo shots of like That's these the run time, these though. really bad fucking transitions, and it's got like a twenty five minute food fight. And you're just like, okay, really? <laughs> Moose, Mo- it's called exposition. Come on. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exposition dump. Now we know the main character is allergic to peanuts. It's going to play at the very ending. <laughs> What the fuck was that one? I just you guys are good. I can't even remember. I watched some of these like cheesy exploitation movies. Dark Dark Force put it out, and there literally was like a ten minute food fight in it. I was just like, what the fuck is this? And I actually started gagging because there was like mustard falling on people's fucking shirt. I'm like, I hate fucking, I hate that shit. I hate ketchup and mustard getting on people's shirt and their skin. It's grosser than watching somebody get decapitated. Like that scene in uh, that slasher, uh, The Prey, which I love. Yeah, uh, which Arrow put out, and there's just that scene of them all talking in the the wood or you know campfire. <laughs> yeah, and it's all looping like dialogue from like distant, and it just keeps looping, and you don't you don't even hear what they're saying. It goes on for like seven minutes. It's right. all one shot too, isn't it? They yeah, don't, it's one it's, shot. Like, and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the ending of the prey is great though. Like the, well, the, the whole mountain shit, it, it makes it worth watching. You know. Yeah, I feel like Tom has been a major influence on Arrow releasing things because I know for years and years and years you always champion the prey. You're like, we need a fucking good Blu-ray release of, <laughs> release of that shit, and all of a sudden they announced the you know the prey and then it came out and stuff. And then the same thing happened with Shock. I know that oh, that's when you I, know I've been carrying that flag for a while. Yeah, man, and like it always it always kind of blew my mind too that Shock never had more than just the DVD releases because. You know, if you look at Mario Bava's entire collection, and we're talking beyond the horror films, like his Sandals and Swords, and his all his movies pretty much have good releases, either from Arrow or Kino or something like that. Why was Shock like the last one to go? Because 
you know, anchor bait. I would assume some type of legal, that's usually how it is, some type of, you know. Like, I always thought that, like, well, I mean, this is, of course, coming, is, I, I guess it's Region 1 and 2? Is Shock being released? It, it's being released in both regions, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so so they obviously acquired the rights because the last right holder was, um, which was Blue Underground, right? So, you know, I, I just always thought it was strange, some of the films that they've had the rights to that they never ended up releasing and stuff, but... I guess it kind of works out like it works out in the long run anyways. So then it gets tricky too with rights because not only do you need the rights, but then you need the rights to be able to have access to restore the original print. So that gets into all other legal issues. So, you know, those Italian companies sometimes want to, want to scan in house and then send it to you. They don't want to let the companies take and scan, but arrow is, is right. Kind of closer to Italy than America. So they probably have a a closer in, you know what I mean? Right. I don't know. Just assuming they're probably like, even if they listen, it's like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But I know it's, it's nice to see that one getting its, uh, getting its flowers. So I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic release. Maybe, maybe we'll have to do one, one of those, uh, those kind of offbeat weird shows where it's like uh, beyond the door trilogy where the movies don't even make, they're just in sequel and name only. <laughs> yep. And the worst one is probably the actual beyond the door. Because the train one's awesome. It's just it's just a blatant exorcist ripoff. I mean, it's just capitalizing. Yeah. It's fun though, man. You know what yeah, makes me Amok laugh? Trains fantastic. Amok Train is yeah. Amok Train's great. I've championed that shit since Shriek Show put out that DVD years ago. Man, that movie is so much damn fun. But fucking Bo Sevson. Yep. What I love Another about one filmed in uh, Europe too, so it's got the nice locations. And, it's got the funniest yeah. miniature shots in it ever. Like it just kills me with the miniatures. It's so funny. Yeah. Like I love. Everyone knows how much I love miniatures and and dummy deaths. Dummy deaths are like my favorite thing in movies. I swear. But beyond the doorman, one of the funniest things about that movie is the the filthy kids' mouths. Like the fact that they have that <laughs> dubbed in there like that is just it's it makes me laugh because they're just cursing up a storm. It makes me laugh every time I watch kids that. Movie. Cussing at adults is always funny in movies. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so one of the funny. best gags in a beer league with uh, Artie Lang is when that kid starts cussing at him. And he like throws his bat at him. He's like, thanks for the bat asshole. Right. <laughs> oh man. All right. So yes, man, this is uh, episode 216, 216. That sounds crazy. I'm doing the show for a long time. Uh, Mario Bava, Volume 2. We listed off the titles that we're going to be reviewing tonight. The Whip and the Body from 63, Baron Blood from 72, and Lisa and the Devil from 73. And we're doing the Lisa and the Devil cut. We're not doing the other re-edited version, which is House of Exorcism, I believe is what it's called. Um, have you Have you got... Well, obviously, Dave, you haven't seen that, but Tom, have you watched that cut recently? Not recently, no. No, I haven't. I yeah. actually, I didn't want to watch it side by side with this just because I just we weren't really doing that cut too so I was like ask it cut bothers me so I don't like it it does man it, it, I remember it's really it, bad then well it's because it, I think the producers at the time they wanted to capitalize of course on the exorcist um, fame right so they they put in this whole kind of subplot and with that and so, it's been a while since I've seen it but I just remember being like what the hell the hell did they do yeah, here it's no no good yeah. Watching Lisa and the Devil, I can't understand how they would shoot new scenes and add an exorcist subplot in that movie because it just doesn't match and there's no room for it. Exactly. It is strange, right? It, <laughs> it is strange. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to have to go back. I can't even see how it would work. You should just watch that cut for shits and giggles after the show, man. Yeah, it is worth seeing for sure. Yeah. Just for, yeah. for the reason you just said. Especially, I, you... almost, I almost squeezed it in, but I just didn't have time. Yeah, especially that you just watched Lisa and Devil, so it's fresh. So go, go and watch it. You'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like literally my reaction. So... 
Who would do uh, sick shit like this? Ah, it's all about that Fetty, you know? Producers, man. Gotta capitalize. Um, okay, so since we do have the time to do this, uh, one thing that we do on the show when we have a brand new guest on is we do, I always call it quick little five questions with the guest, insert name, which is Horswell Tom, of course. Um, but the five questions is never short. It always just leads to tangents, which is, you know, something that we do on the show here. 22 shots of tangent. And no, horror. bullshit. Yeah. So we're going to get into this fight. And these aren't like brain busting questions. It's just questions that everyone can kind of like, you know, relate to. And just they're easy answers. Just put it that way, Tom. And we'll see about that. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got a couple. I always I think that couple. they're easy questions. And then I'll ask the first question. Everyone's like, I have no idea. And I'm like, seriously, no idea. All right. It's like, um, do you like Mountain Dew? Fuck me. How do I answer something like that? <laughs> now, these these are pretty easy. Actually, Tom's already even answered one of them, which I knew the answer, but for the people at home, they might not have known that answer. But anyways, so we'll get into question one here, which is super. It's a simple question. Might not be a simple answer. I don't know. Um, but uh, your favorite horror film of all time? This is an easy one. It's kind of. I mean, you guys know it, it kind of changes over the years, but my, this one probably stayed the same for. For as long as I can remember, definitely Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the reason why I like to answer or to ask these questions to people because I'm always, you know, as a horror film fan and like a fan of other people that are fans of the same genre films as me, I'm always like curious on what people's likes and dislikes are. You know, I'm not here to argue because what you you can't argue what someone likes or dislikes. It, it is what it is, right? You like what you like, but but. Uh, um, that answer right there is pretty common. I always feel like when people ask, like when people ask me what my favorite horror film is, and I say Dawn of the Dead, I'm like, uh, it just it just sounds almost cliched now to say that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, they're cliches because they're good. It, but that's the thing, and like, it, but I love when people are like, oh, my favorite horror film is like uh, Night of the Creeps. I'm like, seriously, cool. You know, it, 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 I always wait for those type of answers. It's always kind of. Yeah, Night of the Creeps is worthy, though, I think. Right. But just something different, something offbeat, but, you know... I, I guess some people expect, who know me, kind of expect probably, like, an Italian film, because mm-hmm. I'm such an Italian fan, but, yeah, Texas, I mean, it's just, to me, it's one of those, like, in my opinion, just a perfect film. Right, right. I actually, and it's, it's I, always just stayed that way. Yeah, I, I always that. said Night in Texas were the best American independent films ever made, but that's just what I think. Mm-hmm. Night of Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I've, I kind of figured that was the answer. I knew that. I wasn't sure if it was still going to be. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, our, our tastes evolve, obviously. But yeah, yeah, that's and that's the thing, you know. But it, you know, with me, Dawn of the Dead has been my favorite film since I can even remember. Like, but you get the odd person nowadays. They're like, "Oh yeah, so you're a horror film fan? Like, what's your favorite horror movie?" And I'm like, "Dawn of the Dead." And they're like, "And then this is where it gets me." They're like, "Original or remake?" Someone and has actually said that to you? I, I've been asked that a couple times, and I'm just staring at them going, you didn't just ask me that, did you? And, like, I don't even know how to respond. I'm like, obviously, the original slow zombies. <laughs> you know? <It's> like, seriously? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just like, I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but I'm like, Romero's film? <laughs> okay. The one with social commentary? Yeah. Not the action film, please? Right. right. <laughs> I mean, the Dawn of Dead remake's fine. It's good. It's entertaining. Just like after you watch it, there's nothing under the surface. I've mentioned this so many times on this show, and I think a a couple other people have mentioned it also that they kind of agree with me that when the Dawn of the Dead remake came out, it was interesting to see what Snyder did with the zombies. It was fast moving. It was fast paced and stuff. And you're like, okay, you watch it. You kind of take it for what it is at that moment. And then you watch it later. And then you're like, okay, 
and then you watch it a couple more times, you're like, man, this movie gets worse every time I watch this, man. That movie has it's a, the most... It's a very good remake. It's not timeless like the original. No. Yeah. It's just one of those things. But yeah, we're not here to talk about uh, the Dawn of the Dead I, I would explain that, like, um, like, Dawn of the Dead original is like a seven-layer dessert. Like, you know, you got the whipped cream on top, you go to the ice cream sandwiches, you get all the delicious heat down there. And um, do you guys remember Revenge of the Nerds when uh, Ogre goes and gets the uh, the pies? And it's just whipped cream and it has the naked pitch underneath? That's Dawn of the Dead remake. Right. How is it, Ogre? All right. Sorry. Good or all right? All right. <laughs> just whipped cream. I mean, it tastes fucking good. Fantastic analogy right there. <laughs> seven-layer dessert. Interesting. I, but you it's know, just se- underneath, instead of the girlfriend, it's just um, fucking Ving Rhames in a bikini. <laughs> right. Right. That's one of the quotes on the cover of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Ving Rhames in a bikini. Yeah. <laughs> That's Four perfect. stars. I loved Ving Rhames. Like New York Times. <laughs> New York Times. Ru- Richard Rubenstein. This is better than the original. Ving Rhames in a bikini. I always used to think watching that remake too. I was like, man, that dude with the one arm, that's crazy effects on that. But it turns out the dude actually only had half an arm. I'm like, okay, right on. We do that in the original too. In the extended cut, at least the guy pulls up and he has the one arm yeah. under the truck. It's getting crushed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So question number two, um, what's your favorite uh, boutique company releasing company? Oh, that is a tough one. That's definitely something that would change a lot. It is, man. It it definitely okay. What, what was what was your favorite old school one? Like back in the day, like even I guess Blu Ray came around. There was quite a few companies, you know, until Blu Ray kind of hit its mark and went six seven yeah, or whatever. Like back in the DVD days, if we're going that route, definitely. I mean, you had the two big ones, Anchor Bay, of course, and Blue Underground. You know, yeah. So that's how I got into the Italian stuff, which thanks to you know those two labels. So, um, you know, that's nostalgia sake. Um, right now, though, I don't know. I'm at. I do that category in my awards. I'll do like the best label or whatever. But I, yeah, Severn just they pull out some cool like the fact that they released that this year actually that Christopher Lee, um, you know his his like European the Euro cult collection uh, gothic films. Man, I love all those films and it's so cool. And they actually just watched one last night, the uh, Torture Chamber of Doctor Sadism, and uh, mm-hmm. it looked amazing. And uh, so I don't Severn. I guess I would have to say seven, but I mean, obviously there's so many great ones. Arrow's always great. Um, but I guess if I had to, you know, give you one, it would be seven right now, at least. I feel like we're living in like uh physical media heaven right now. There's so many good absolutely. companies out there. Like it, it, it's absolutely phenomenal and a little bit crazy. Some of the films that we're getting on these oh, releases yeah. and, but just the amount of new boutique labels that are popping up. I mean, you go to vinegar syndrome, like all the sister labels that are on there and stuff. And what is there like a dozen of them now? It's just yeah. absolutely insane. But it, you know, it goes to prove that the stuff is still selling and people, you know, st- still question me at times. Like, why do you still buy movies when you could just stream them on shutter and Netflix and, or even download them for free. And I'm like, because I'm a collector, you fucking idiot. You know, that, that's the part. That's the point of it. It's like, people still ask you all the time, man, all the time. People like, never ask me. Yeah, it's it's just crazy, man. People are like, oh, you're fucking wasting your money on this shit. I'm like, why? Like, I it's, I love it's it. It's kind of like music, though, too, because I'm like a big vinyl guy, and you get the same thing, you know, like, yeah. you know, why don't you just, you know, so it's, it's kind of the same thing, but. And yeah. I fucking like it. That's the answer, because none of your fucking business. Well, I, I mean, people ask me, uh, you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I had actually someone even ask me just not too long ago, like, they're like, they, do they even still see, sell CDs and stuff? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, m- 
music collecting is kind of like movie collecting too. There's a lot of boutique labels out there and stuff, right? And that's where I get a lot of my stuff from. Some of the there's not too many major record labels that are releasing stuff anymore, um, but there is. But there is. But it's mostly like indie labels and stuff like that, and, and it's still very vibrant. You know, you can still get stuff. It, it's a little bit harder to obtain now. You know, shipping prices are insane, but it's still out there. It's still out there. That's that, that even seeps into you know what we're talking about horror films. I mean, all the soundtracks. Yeah. On vinyl, not only is the film getting a Blu-ray with a slipcover, but then it's like, oh my god, it's on vinyl with a splatter. You know what I mean? Right. So those are kind of going hand in hand now. Yeah, like even WNUF Halloween just got uh, that exactly. nice Blu-ray release with a vinyl release. You're like, that's crazy, yeah, exactly. man. That's I, insane. The one I missed that I really was so choked about, I missed the soundtrack for The Barn. And that was one thing. I know Dave's not a fan of The Barn, and I fucking... I like The Barn. I love The Barn. <laughs> I, and I just said, I, I fucking... I don't want to <laughs> well, talk Well, Dave, you don't it. love it like you should. I don't... I don't want to talk I don't about even, it, because it goes I, against my core belief in not talking about an indie actor's performance. I just will say... <laughs> He didn't have passion in his eyes. Okay. Um, Are you talking but, about the lead? The lead? Yeah. Didn't have okay. passion in his eyes. But the one thing about that movie, though, that always stuck out to me was uh, was the music. The music's fantastic in the film. Oh, yeah. And, and then the soundtrack just, like, fucking sold out in five minutes. And I was like, holy shit, man. But that's cool. Like, I, I don't get mad at that because I'm like, well, these people are buying this shit. You know, there's still a market for it. That's really cool. So, but. The effects are great too, man. I mean, the movie's got great atmosphere. I really liked it, but it just it's something about it. It's almost it's like the void. It's like, oh, if they change one thing, I could give this like a nine out of ten. But it's just this one thing's driving me crazy. That's a movie where the lead guy drives me nuts. And none of the none of the characters in the void are worth a damn. Yeah, the 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 dialogue's awful, and the you know, but everything else is fucking the best. Oh, absolutely. The atmosphere and effects are incredible. Yeah, absolutely. The characters and dialogue are just real clunky. their motivations don't make any sense yeah i think honestly that's what i can overlook too because i don't think the acting is overlooked but then again when i'm watching indie films i don't i never really try to focus too much on acting because you know you you are watching an indie film right i mean there is good and there's different levels of acting in these movies ranges, and stuff like yeah, that it does it ranges of course but that's why i don't i don't weigh too heavily on the acting because majority of the time you are going to be getting amateur people and stuff well, and, and, and it is what it is that much i just need something and there it's was, there was nothing for me to grab onto you know i just couldn't grab onto it but i like i was watching the void and just being like this should be my favorite movie of the year why isn't this my favorite movie of the year and i, I came to the conclusion that i did not give a flying fuck about any of the characters hmm. absolutely i love the void <laughs> but if i, I watch it i guarantee it'll be high rated but i just won't ever love it like i should you see the barn to me yeah, exactly is one of those films that just has everything else going for like it has all the things i love in films man it's got good effects it's got it's got really kind of fun you know all the the, the characters that they created in that film are really cool and it's got great atmosphere and those are the things i love right kills are pretty good effects like there's a lot of things that i love that i can overlook things like i mean yeah i mean if you if you you, no i'm just saying if you if you make a point of putting all that stuff into your final result it's like it is what it is everyone has a different way of looking at films and stuff but you know i mean that thing was that it was one dummy death away from being like a 10 for me man (laughs) (laughs) but you know i mean i can't pass that like that's one thing i love about especially early italian films man is the music in these things man it's just so captivating it's so gripping it just it catches me every single time you know music is always a big part of for films for me and i'm sure it is for you know you also right tom i know music absolutely is, yeah for sure um yeah so seven like what do you have any like kind of underrated company i know you've mentioned kino as being a, a very underrated company because they release a ton of stuff but 
yeah they, for sure they put out a lot Kino. a lot of good stuff though man and it's one of those companies that seems to be overshadowed by you know the vinegar syndromes and the severins and the arrows yeah they don't have the fancy box outs or the slip covers but they do have they do have good artwork and the transfers look great and they they release like a lot of um especially like this year they're doing a lot like a lot of the great tv horror movies you right. know is great to see um i also love the newer late they're quite new i think they only have like six releases but um cauldron films yeah which i don't know if you guys are into that one but yeah yeah yeah, yeah so i mean that's a, that's a real new one that i definitely will be one of those things that i'll just buy everything they put out just to support them yeah i have all the movies that cauldron put out too i actually watched american rickshaw last night for the first time that late martino film um, that movie is like straight American though. It's like such an yeah. American film. But, I had never seen that until their release. So yeah, it, it kind of shocked me because I've always, I'll, I like I've championed Martino for years and years. And I'm, I've always been, I've even been on record saying, you know, like he's done, you know, not to take anything away from Argento's giallos, but I'm just saying Martino seems to have a better catalog and more hits in the giallo genre than, than Argento for myself. I think everything that Martino did in those early years is just phenomenal. Like that guy sure. is severely underrated uh, as a director. Like, and he on did that topic. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Moon. Nope. Um, with me mentioning Severn, another example of why I love them so much is on that note on uh, the subject of Gialli is like the, the box. I think I gave it like my favorite release of last year. That was the Umberto Lenzi and Carol Baker. Yeah, box set, which is so like ridiculously specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like <laughs> as niche as you can get. You know, like a, an, a Lindsay box set by itself. Okay, you know that's going to sell well, but no, I'm going to put out the films he did with Carol Baker. You know, in this lavish set, and the the amazing thing is, I don't know, those films are amazing. Um, so I don't, I, th- I don't think Lindsay gets enough credit for his early uh, Giallo output. I mean, they're so well written and just wow, that box set is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I love all the movies that are in that set, man. Like Paranoia, and what else is in there? Uh, Knife and Vice, So Sweet, So Quiet Perverse. Quiet Place to Kill. Quiet Place to yes. Kill, which is alternate name is Paranoia, which is so confusing, right? Because there's right, already a right. movie in the in the box that called Paranoia, and then the alternate name for Quiet right. Place is Paranoia. And it, it, that, that used to baffle me. I, I know like when you're an Italian horror fan, this is something that you deal with, or Giallo's, yeah. the, the alternate names and stuff, but that's bizarre that there's like two in the same box set. <laughs> Yeah, like Lindsay. I mean, I I put him up there with uh, Martino as far as Gialli, and I'm I oh. love Martino too. But I mean, I like Spasmo, and man, he's dude. Spa- I would put Spasmo's the a next trip. tier of Italian directors after ba- uh, after Mario Bava, uh, Fulci, and Argento. I always went like Len- uh, Lindsay, uh, Martino, and Diotato. Like is the next three. Mm-hmm. That's cool that you brought that up because I've always wanted to do a show. I'd actually love to have you guys on. Is like I think generally speaking you know you're gonna most people are gonna agree that like there's kind of like the trinity and it's bava falci and argento that's like them up there right and obviously we all have we'd rank them differently but then i was gonna do who's four and five you know and that would be quite the conversation Hmm. yeah Le- <clears throat> Lindsay in general though man he did a lot of great movies in all types of different genres and stuff so he's he's he directed a lot of films man are we only including their horror output or everything well, I mean, it depends on how you want to do it. I would probably just yeah, say I mean, more, I, more in the speaking horror, but yeah. probably horror. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, somebody like Lamberto Bava, who didn't direct an abundance of amazing movies, but he directed a lot of really good ones, you know, Absolutely. with like Macabre and Blade in the Dark and Demons 1 and 2, of course. And I think, you know, OK, I know, Tom, you'll probably agree with me on this one, but um, Shriek Show years ago released uh, the 
what was it the bravado giallo tv series like the all four films wouldn't that yeah. be an amazing box set for severin to put out which is oh. consisting of graveyard disturbance which i think is criminally underrated as one of the funnest fun tv movie. movies i posted that this month on instagram yeah um it, and i was like god talk about a great box set and it would be those bava's uh you know tv movies yeah i love graveyard oh, did you really probably yeah i've thought about this for a long time because i just man i i find them all to be super fun dinner with a vampire until death which yep. i think is criminally underrated and i can't remember the oh, actress's the actress's name that stars in that but she is so beautiful man oh she's so yep. beautiful i know she was in um uh heart of atlantis too the, the lead actor film. That yeah too in, in that movie and then of course the ogre which if you just call it the ogre not demons three you know or ghost house two <laughs> right right those alternate well, names kind of bring all. down these yeah, movies a little bit there's like seven ghost house movies but only <laughs> only the first one is actually a ghost house movie right demon three was put by shriek show and the other three were, were the mia communications i believe yeah yeah my communications yeah. that's right another yeah, great maya, 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 show yeah. right there back, back in the day that's right yeah. yeah and which is you know it's it's a travesty because shriek show always put out really good stuff so maya put out a lot of good stuff too but their transfers were always like muddy so you yeah, can watch these transfers <laughs> right yeah, so <laughs> yeah, the Mayas I always thought were worse than the Shriek shows, but so, oh, then yeah, they yeah. put out a uh, girl from Cortina. I love that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah they that, did. that's another one. Yep, that'd be another one. Nice to see that one released. I love that one. Mm-hmm. I imagine all these are probably coming up on the rights being renewed yep. by somebody like Vinegar Syndrome or Severin would definitely be the two that do it. Yeah, a lot of those movies that Maya released and stuff, they seem to be like in purgatory. Like a lot of them haven't gotten released. So I'm thinking it was like kind of like when I was I was talking about Mono Macabro and a lot of their back catalog had never been reissued by anybody I'm like do they still own the rights to all these movies and are just not reissuing them? and it was like a, what about a month later Dave and then they started reissuing some of their back catalog and I'm like well apparently they still do own the rights to a lot of their movies because they're starting to come out on Blu-ray now but I'm like what took them so long because Mondo, Mondo is no one else even touched half the movies they released that, and then the yeah. new stuff they put out nobody else has ever put those on HD yeah. so like That's for what that I'm saying. Mondo is, is very very unique very obscure too and like you know a lot of their back catalog i'd love to get those bollywood movies you know if they still have the rights to them you know there's so many of those other releases that are out of to consider too is like uh, you know you were always like man i wish they would put this up it's like not only is it rights but does the does the original transfer even exist i was kind of like in my head like think of some janitor who ends up in some like facility warehouse you know and he picks up the reel and it says like girl from cortina on it Right, and he's like, ah, fuck it, throws it out. You know what I mean? Like it's, like, it is true. It, it, it's well, like it's going to right? keep that. You know? Right, they it, tossed Alicarda's elements away, didn't they? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe that's why the blue never came. I think after the elements were used, I, I, I supposedly they just didn't. They tossed them or something. But Alicarda's right. literally like one of the best exploitation yeah. movies ever made, if right. not the best one. If you ask me. Yeah. That is a good point, because usually when I think about things not being released, I think of rights issues and stuff like that. That's usually the first thing that I always think of. But yeah. then I, I never really thought of it because if, you know, if you're releasing, you know, 720 transfers and, you know, on DVD back in the day and stuff, maybe you don't have any good elements to actually put out an HD print. And or maybe the elements just don't exist anymore either. So I, it's something that you definitely have or to consider. Is control of it. It's just like no one's going to give a shit about this movie. So you know, right? Because yeah, if taking you were, up, it's taking up space in my closet or whatever, right? Because if you were sourcing these from like old shitty VHSs or whatever, and so you're not going to put use those sources as uh, HD 
or try to you know source them for for an HD transfer and stuff. So it does make a lot of sense. There is a lot of different variables in releasing, but a lot of it has to do with rights, and a lot of it has to do with music rights too. I know there's yeah, been lots of movies over years that have have they're, they've been delayed for forever and and just you know haven't been released in general just because music is a big motherfucker, man. Music rights are complicated. Really complicated, but when you're dealing with movies that have full blown soundtrack, you're dealing with like, you know, fifteen different artists kind of thing, and or different companies and shit too. Yep, yep. Really annoying. Just kill them, <laughs> right? Yeah, and sometimes these companies don't even own the rights. It's actually the artists that have these rights, and you know, I mean, Tom, you know how it works too. And so, it, music rights get so complicated; it's ridiculous. You could just be on time, just put it out, right? <laughs> yeah, but never put out fucking just, just cool job. They that, got in just trouble. that shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, do you have any, do you have like an overrated company that's out there that's, you know, people talk about and, you know, you know what it's going to be actually. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I love vinegar cinder, but like, I guess it's not just a point then, but we were kind of talking on before we started here is like kind of like how it's gotten to the point where you could literally put out, you know, a guy taking a shit. Yeah, and say it's some dug up film, and you know people will throw it on the secondary market. You know that's more so not really a company that's overrated, but just how that's as, as much as we're all very happy that physical media is just in this like euphoric state right now. There's right. kind of that element which is a, a big turnoff of kind of like just that collecting for the sake of collecting, and how that's kind of like mm-hmm. you know you limit limit it to five hundred, and I don't know that that whole side. I'm sure you guys agree, are just kind of a turnoff. Yeah, the the limited shit really does bug me a lot of the times. Um, because it's not too limited though, but some of those places are super fucking limited, like a hundred copies, and before yeah. you re- you're fucked. Like, what was that Japanese movie they got put out? Like Automon something. I went yeah, to go get yeah. that. It was gone. I was like, I'm right. never going to see that again. Well, and like the three of us, we're, we don't buy. We're collectors, but we're not buying this so that in ten years we can throw it on eBay and you know what I mean, yeah, like yeah. to re- to make a you know send our kids through college like it's not like that that's know? my that's one of my biggest problems with limiting shit like i don't mind if you know if it's the collectors buying the stuff up that are putting in the collection for the sake of having it you know and personally owning it but the problem is with the limited stuff is that the um the resellers they see that they buy up as many copies as they can and then it goes on onto the ebay stores and stuff and selling for three or four times amount that's what bugs me about this which is a big oh. thing with like the mondo you know the numbered thick red case one you know that's they're taking that's, that's the thing that bothers me they're taking it away the from that, you know us legit collectors that you know would like to buy it at the retail price you know and actually having their collections and appreciate and it but it's it. just it's all about making money yeah and actually watch it because that's the thing these guys buy these things that they get them in the mail and then they just put them up on the ebay it's ridiculous yep. drives me nuts and, and the one thing that kills me is i, I know i'm gonna sound like a whiny baby because i don't have to buy it but the, the Corman titles that Screen Factory gets and then they put up as exclusives, even though they're supposed to own worldwide rights to the Corman stuff, it's like, mm-hmm. why don't you just make these made on demand and just print them off when people order them and sell them for a reasonable price? Like putting yeah. it up for $30, it's Thank like, you. kind of go you, fuck sure. yourself. Like, I'm Thank not you. gonna buy that. I know, it, I, I just can't afford it. And I don't want, I, it's just insulting. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a dick, but I, it just seems like a, it's such a price gouge for me. Like, I, I can't do it. I've actually made a, I've actually made a point of not ordering any of those Corman um, website only releases. Website. Yeah, me either. I don't own any of them. And the thing is, I do have, I think I have, well, I, with the exception of two of the DVD, remember from the DVD Roger Corman collection, the Shell Factory put out? So I have the whole collection except for two of the exclusive ones, which I was like, fuck that, I'm not paying like, you know, 50 bucks for these things. 
But then when they started exclusively releasing these Blu-rays and shit, I was like, fuck that, man. I'm like, it's Roger Corman shit, dude. No way. I'm not paying those prices for that. It's just, it's and ridiculous. I mean, they also own the rights, right? Like, I you know. know. And, that, and that's like why news. If to put Lake Placid on a special edition collector's edition, why the fuck is an Attack of the Crab People out there? Right. right. Like, I've never seen Attack of the Crab People, but everybody knows that movie. It's a popular movie, but it's a, it's an exclusive? What I know. the fuck? I know. That shit drove me nuts. Is that part nuts. of the deal with Corman? I don't get it. No, I don't think it is. I think it's just them. <laughs> they're just gouging, man. That's straight gouging shit right there. There's got to be something with it, right? Like, like where they had, like, they made a, a deal in court that they can only sell exclusive on their website. That might be it. It would make sense. It's possible. You never know. Well, I mean, sense. we have seen that recently. Actually, Severin got involved with that. Was it Shock Combat, right? That they, the director only allowed them that to shot. put out so many, what was it, like a thousand copies or whatever? What did I say? Shock Combat Shock? Yeah. I, did I say that backwards? Yeah. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it doesn't matter. But anyways, the point was, is that I, it wasn't really Severin's deal. It was more the director from what I, from what I gather. He's like, oh, you, you guys can print up this many copies and sell them. And when they're, when they're done, that's it. Kind of thing. Might so, have been Troma too, because Troma owns the rights, and they'll, they'll sub-license to Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome will clean up their titles, all that kind of shit. And then you notice a lot later, like Night Beast was put out by Vinegar Syndrome, and then they turn now like the children, and now Troma's putting those out. They're probably using their prints, their yeah. remasters. And that was the kind of the deal. Yeah, Troma did release that back in the day, but then Severin ended up dropping the Blu-ray. And I know there was something to do with the director, because I think I saw saw one of yeah. the shorts that the director was involved in, and uh, Buddy G. Yeah, and then he was talking about like this can be exclusive to this, and once it's sold out, it's gone, it's gone, and stuff. And I never really believed that. I, I always thought that everyone would be like, "Ah, oh, fuck it, man. We'll we'll widely release it after." Right? Never happens. I was like, "Holy shit!" That's one of my favorites too. I had to have it. Yeah, see, I missed it, man. I I, I totally I was because I was like, "Well, fuck it, man. I'll just I'll wait for the the other version." And I was like, "It'll come out." In my heart, it's coming out, and it never did. <laughs> oh my gosh, shit! I do have the old Troma DVD, which is shitty. I think it's even cut too. I don't even know, but well, there's no, like I got deals. the new one too. There's uh, deals between companies too. Like uh, I think like 88 Films made some type of deal with Vinegar Syndrome, where they were like releasing, or it was either them or Severn. They were kind of releasing their titles after yeah. they released them. They had some kind of deal. Yeah. So if you collect Severn titles in Region One here, most likely they're they're going to be on the 88 Films Italian line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that happens a lot. Um, all right, so next, uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one, and I might have even answered already, but your favorite country uh, origin for horror films? Yeah, for the, absolutely uh, Italian for sure, but although I I do love uh, Spanish horror, and I think they may be the most consistent region because they still put out, like, and I did, like, a top 50, you know, of, you know, movies I love last decade, and, um, you know, it's... Tons of great, amazing modern Spanish films. As well. So Spain might be the the most consistent as far as throughout the decades, but definitely my favorite would be Italian. Right, right. I agree, though. Did man. True's Nest make that list? What was that, Dave? Did True's Nest make that list? Uh, yes. I figured it would. I mean, I thought I thought you were a big fan of that movie. Yes. Are you a fan of that one, Dave? Oh yeah, it's it's pretty great. Cool. Uh. Yeah, it, Italy is my favorite country. Also, I'm a huge Italian fan. So, but yeah, Spanish films, man, right there. Yeah, yeah, I, Spain is a lot like Italy, but you're right; they could they still make good movies. They, In Italy, I don't. They make an occasional good movie. Yeah, 
they have put out a, like we were talking about, it's a production company so i think in spain apparently they still at least support to some extent genre films where italy just totally so now if you're making horror in italy you're you're an independent artist um actually just posted the film across the river moods you know i love that one yeah yeah and yeah it's an independent film so the guy you know the, the director lorenzo bianchini he just uh you know, that's something you just got to make on your own. You got no backing or anything. So apparently it's a little more the, the cinematic climate in Spain is a little more supportive now than, as we know, Italy. That's good to hear, actually. It's really good to hear. Yeah, it's a good one, man. I, th- I thought that movie was kind of overlooked a little bit. I thought it was really what cool. What was it called? Uh, Across the River. I've never seen that one. Yeah. When yeah it- I kind of call it like the greatest Italian horror film since Cemetery Man. Um, well looks like i'm gonna have to buy that is it a, yeah, it's very yeah uh well there's a region to i think a uk dvd of it i don't think it ever got a blu-ray unfortunately what? yeah i've got the DVD. region 2 dvd yeah dvd and it's kind of a shame too man because man it could really benefit from being in that uh that high def quality man absolutely the cinematography is great and it's yeah very atmospheric so kind of a shame but yeah it's region two but it's cheap though <laughs> like you can get it for like five pounds i think not not delivered anymore from the uk they're oh. like that's 37 dollars. that's right man oh yeah you order from amazon uk and it's like 20 pounds for one blu-ray oh, yeah it's yeah. a shame that it's it's be, you know it's become that because yeah, i actually it used to be like pre you know covid i'd it'd actually be like cheaper to yep. get like four movies from amazon uk because like the you know the currency and all that stuff yeah yeah, I used to get that question a lot. Like, why does your Arrow collection mostly region B? And I'm like, because it's way cheaper to import them from the UK than it is to buy here. Right? So, which is crazy. I even even with, shot. like, free Amazon shipping through Prime and stuff, I still be paying cheaper prices in yeah. from the UK. It's ridiculous, man. This is not, not cool. Uh, you already answered who your favorite director is, which you said Mario Bava. Who's your favorite non-Italian director? Ooh, that's a real good one. I don't even know if I know that. You said non-Italian or non-horror? I'm sorry. Non-Italian. Okay, non-Italian. Um, I would say it would either be uh, Sion Sono or um, um, Andrew Zulowski, one of those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, you've met a lot of directors. You, you, uh, you met Dario Argento before, right? Yes, how did twice. That, how did that conversation... Yeah, tw- okay, yeah. How did, like... Can you have a decent conversation with him? Yeah, there wasn't much time, of course. Um, and his, you know, he's kind of like still, believe it or not, broken English. Right. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm super, super cool guy and surreal. And the first time I met him just with uh, my wife, Shelly, but uh, second time meeting him with, with my daughter, Hope, and with her, of course, you know, being an aspiring filmmaker and, and her loving his work. That was a real special moment seeing her like shake his hand. And it was pretty, pretty profound. But yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a conversation you'd love to have. But yeah, unfortunately, there wasn't, of course, time to do that. Right, right. Well, on your daughter's, um, you just brought up your daughter, but uh, yeah, everyone needs to check out her her latest full length film. I guess it would be her first full length feature. I dare you to open your eyes, which came out a couple years. Which back. at this point isn't even latest. Now she's like, believe it or not, mood. She's going to be twenty two, and she did that film in high school. Yeah, and she's just like she's raring to go for the next one. The script is all written, and uh, at this point, it, I'm sure at some point in the near future, uh, we just moved. Um, so that's been kind of 
or taking our lives for a while, but still, I'm sure there'll be like some type of crowdfunding thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, the script is done, and it'll be a full-length film, and uh, it'll be taking place in the 40s. Oh, I'll wow. Oh, shit. Period. It'll be it's, shot in black and white, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I love that. I haven't seen her first film. Please, everyone, go out there. and It's it's on YouTube in its entirety right now, um, so go check it out. Do you have any more copies of it for sale? Do not. No more Blu-rays. No more Blu-rays. Okay. Um, I did do a review of it, so if you guys can look it up on my channel and stuff, it's uh, it's very impressive. I the one thing I was really impressed of with the film is like how it was put together it was really well done. But you kind of stole the show on the film, to be honest. Like, you said that. I uh, thank you. That, yeah, your I acting was that. very believable, and I liked the character that you were playing because you played into that so well. It was very believable, and that's hard to do sometimes in these type of movies. But it, I felt it. I felt it. It was really good. Um, no, I felt the acting in general. I think for the film has gotten a lot of praise. I think everyone, right. you know, like like we said earlier, those super low budget. In this case, a nearly a no budget film. Right. You know, the acting is really painful sometimes, but I think you know everyone did really good. Mm-hmm. It's like in uh, uh, Dave's movie. Um, uh, when Dustin Mills, his acting in it, what, what was the name of the short? Uh, which one? Halloween Spookies or Slimy Little Bastards? Uh, Slimy Little Bastards. What was the short that Dustin was in? He's uh, in all of them. Is he, is he in all of them? <laughs> Fuck, I even read. He's I can't. in three of the four. Is he's he in, th- yeah, he's in the three. He's in, he's the... Uh, I guess he is actually in multiple. <laughs> that he's the doctor. Uh, and he's just basically himself in the last one. Right. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while, but man, Dustin, he's actually a decent actor too, man. Kind of blew me away. I love slimy little bastards. It is. It's really good. Thanks. I mean, Dustin's good, man. Dustin's one of those guys that can do everything. Like, mm. I think he is, I don't know what to say. I think he is kind of a genius, to be honest. Like, just one of those people that's super smart. Like, I can't do that shit. Yeah. I can barely tie my shoes. Dustin's like, all right, I'll, he's like, here's the camera. He's like, I'll figure it out. Yeah, he he's, he's one of those filmmakers that always kind of blew me away for you know, making indie films and, and doing something different every time he did a project oh, was always yeah, so he, mind-blowing. Yeah, Each film was just so different. And yeah, like you just said, it kind of all, even though I was like became a fan of his work with each film, he continued to surprise me, even though I shouldn't have been surprised. You know what I mean? So is he redoing the the Puppet Ma- uh, Massacre movie? Is, is he redoing that yeah. one? How, yep. Like, how's that project going? Uh, I know that there was this online script reading and stuff like that, and uh, they, they Jeremy's in it. He has like he helped with like some of the stuff, like drew some posters in the background and stuff. And he said that it was hilarious in the reading and everything like that. He actually said something to me to do have a small role in it. I don't remember what it was. I haven't got the script yet, but he's not going forward with it yet. It's going to be made though because it was produced and everything, so it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it should be funny. He'll do a great job. I haven't read the script yet. Yeah, his output has been nuts. Like that movie came out what 2010, so over like the last yeah, 10, 11 years. First. Yeah, he's done a and, and and to start off your career by doing like a like a puppet movie is insane. Like that's just a lot of effort and oh, a lot of work, man. It's crazy. That was probably he had no idea how fucking hard that was going to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So last question here. We'll get into a little bit of your collection. Um, what's your favorite piece or addition in your collection? Because I know you got you got a fantastic collection. And it's organized so beautifully too. I was like, it's not looking. not anymore. It's not anymore since we moved. It's just now space is no longer an issue. I mean, you remember the room that I would you know shoot the awards and stuff in a tiny little room, and now yeah, we have this like massive basement, which is great, and we just haven't got to yet. So right now, my collection is literally just tons of boxes oh. just sprawled out over the floor. So nothing is <laughs> nothing is organized anymore. But um, are you talking about just like a favorite like physical media piece or whatever yeah yeah anything in there 
collectible. Uh, well, yeah. what's, what's your favorite actual like media piece, uh, box set, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever you have? Yeah, that's tough. There's a lot. I'm a sucker for all those kind of like deluxe German sets with like comes with a bust and everything. Um, right, right. Yeah, so many great ones. I don't know if that's probably the toughest question since you're asking like a collector mm-hmm. their favorite. They're all my babies, you know. Uh, you have the uh, the Maniac bus, right? The one from yeah, is that's, that your... a, that's a great one. Oh, I know that's... I wanted that because I, I have so many editions of Maniacs, one of my favorite movies, and that I really wanted that. But for me to import, it was going to cost me like yeah. I don't even want to. It was ridiculous. It was yeah. so crazy expensive. So I was like, I don't know. That's, it's very heavy too. Yeah, that's that's definitely that's a good one, good candidate. Because yeah, that's I mean I love the film so much, and it's such a such a cool piece. I like all those like zombie busts and stuff that you have, like all those Italian things. You got so many little cool like collectible pieces and shit, and it's pretty cool. You got all the heart boxes too. Those are yeah, those heart boxes. They yeah. um they call them monster boxes, which were just like giant versions of heart boxes, like just ridiculously big, and they came with goodies. And I still love the zombie one, falsy zombie comes with the like charred piece of wood, um, and eyeballs, severed eyeballs. So that that I guess maybe I'd pick pick that one as one of my favorites. Hmm. Uh, do you have like a and I know you'll be covering this on your war so you don't have to give away your favorite one of the year but do you have a front runner for like a release of the year so far I'm sure you definitely do definitely the one I mentioned earlier the Christopher Lee that would definitely be up there I figured so yeah um, yeah. but yeah there's there's. I definitely gotta like think about it and look at everything um, yeah, as you guys know it's just so much amazing Cause it's also too I try not to just I don't want to just nominate something that's like the most extravagant. It could be as simple, like we said, Kino just releasing some amazing TV movie. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be, you know, the bells and whistles. Yeah, I'm bad for that, man. I I should really start at the beginning of the year writing down everything that's current from the year that I bought. Because I get to yeah. the end of the year and I'm like, did this come out this year or last I year? No like, I'm so bad with that. I'm like, and I, I stay pretty current, but I always forget if it came out earlier in the year, if it was like from the previous year. And I'm like, ah, shit, man. It's like, now it's too much homework. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's too, it's hard to keep track of that. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one thing I look forward to every year. Are you going to be doing a live stream? Of- yeah, I think I'm going to do that again. It got a, it got a cool reaction and it definitely don't have to deal with all the all that damn editing, which I actually hope did anyway, so I really can't complain. Right, right. I, <laughs> yeah, I, think. I I like those because you used to do the skits at the beginning and stuff. Like you would have yeah, like yeah. an award show and stuff. I always thought those were fun. And then, but when you did a live stream, like the interaction was really cool, and I, I thought yeah. that was a blast. That was really it fun. It was to like do. hanging out with people, as you guys, you know. That's uh, that was definitely it was a cool dynamic. I think I'll, I'll at least do it maybe this you know this time again. Right, right. So, do you have an idea of where you're going to do? Are you going to have your collection set up by then? Before you do the probably not, I'm gonna have to do some type of makeshift set or something. Shit, is Vinci gonna be there back? I hope so. I um, we moved about I don't know. It's it's like two and a half hours away from where we used to live, so it's like far enough to feel like we moved away, but also close enough to to go back home. And I'm like still in a band too, so like we go home. I, I can't call it home anymore. We go we go back to where we used to live uh, at least once a month to you know jam with the band and stuff. So. It shouldn't be a problem for him to, to get out here. So hopefully. So where are you located now? Because you were, were you in Niagara Falls or were you in Buffalo before? I yeah, guess. I was in Niagara Falls, which is, you know, one and the same to some people, but uh, Western New York area. And now we're just about two and a half hours going, uh, I guess it would be considered Southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're actually only maybe like four hours away, three and a half hours away from New York City now. Yeah. Um, so just a little more in state, um, going towards the East Coast. But. Yeah, Niagara Falls is just kind of like the it's kind of like the greater area of Buffalo, right? It's what like 20, 20 miles yeah, away, 20 something like that. Away. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. very close. So yeah, 
Yeah. Well, that's yeah. It's interesting. Um, what was the reason for the move? Just a change of jobs, location? Like what was? Yeah, it was a want of room, as you guys can attest to. Always need more room. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we we were, we've lived in the city our whole lives, and we kind of were done with that, so we went, went more rural at this stage in our lives. Right. Um, just so you know, be able to look outside and see trees instead of you know your neighbor's grill. <laughs> Yeah, like Merriman out there grilling all day. I get I'm, a, I'm a big uh, foliage guy and just woods and stuff. And the, the, the area that we're in, even though we're still in a neighborhood, um, but it's just the whole area is just surrounded by mountains and stuff. So it's just right. my drive to work. I'm actually like smiling, looking around instead of cursing someone at a stoplight. You know, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I completely get that. It's where my wife grew up. Like she grew up in the in the country, and you know, on lakes and stuff like that, right? So straight wilderness. And I, I always grew up in a suburb, you know, more yeah. on the outskirts of a city and stuff. So it's always around more people. But so, and that's where we live now. We live like more in a suburb, like just out of the outside of the city. But um, yeah, she's always been like, man, we need to go get some, you know, land and eventually move when we're yeah. a little bit older and stuff like that. I could see yeah. us doing that, but I get it completely. Um. All right. And so, more importantly, room for the collection now. So yeah, that's number that's number one. Oh man, I'm just you don't live in a floodplain, do you? No, luckily not. <laughs> make yeah, sure luckily... you put make sure you put your shelves up a little bit just in yep. case. Luckily, the that's a good point, Dave, because luckily the basement is actually like above ground, so yeah, it's not a true basement, so no, no flood worries. You got a dehumidifier just in case. I will. Yes. I'm I'm crazy like that. Like uh, your your head's in the right in the right place, Dave. Now I still worry about scuffs, though. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have put the other show. <laughs> then I was like, this is dumb. Do you the have a humidity problem, Dave? Selling. Do you have a humidity problem, like where you are with your not stuff? Really. Like, see, I don't. That's one thing I don't have to worry about here is is the humidity and stuff where I live. So I don't I get. I don't have to worry about, about so. like that getting all moldy and shit like that because I live, you know, yeah. in central fucking BC. Like, you know, it, it, we just don't have the humidity up here. If I was southern, yeah. But. Ohio is is humid to a certain extent, but it's it's like northern humid. Like by, I live close to Michigan, yeah. but it's still there's a whole line of humidity, and the more south you get, the worse it gets. Like so, that's why I imagine like there's probably a lot of moldy tapes in like the yeah. tip of Florida. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get that humidity and stuff. Like we just get we get rip hot in summers and stuff. Like do we get that type of hot? We don't get the humidity type hot. It's like burn your ass hot. So. Which is nice. It's nice because I don't have to worry about the collections and shit like that as much. So yeah, it's not. We don't get too humid either. Yeah, yeah. That's that shit's like a collection killer right there, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure Blu-rays and DVDs would be all right. Yeah, it's like, the tapes, man. VHS are gonna find, and plus VHS. Honestly, even like, cassettes, like, DVDs and Blu-rays will die after times. Yeah, like a hundred years, bro. <laughs> but yeah, yeah VHS, they're pretty durable. Like they're pretty durable, VHS man. Don't maybe last maybe like thirty years at most. I'd say. Right. Right. All right, so one quick little last thing. We'll do the 10 and 1. It's just uh, I'll name off two things. You pick one, and we'll move on, and then we'll get into uh, these featured reviews. Cool? Let's do it. All right, so question one. Sushi or burgers? Burgers. Power metal or new metal? Oh. That, oh. Moods, you got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if I had to, I'll go power metal. Carpenter or Craven? Carpenter. Yes. Cars or trucks? I can never afford a truck, so I was like cars. Okay. 70s horror or 80s horror? 70s. Edgar Allan Poe or Stephen King? Poe. Thank you. Hard boxes? I'm calling them hard boxes. Or box sets? 
Still, still got the love for the hard boxes. Hoodies or no hoodie? Hoodie. Social media or no social media? I'm getting old. I'm moving to the country. Um, but I love my Instagram, so I got to go social media. Fulci or Argento? Argento. Oh! oh. I, I ask everybody that question all the time because it's just like it's it's an <laughs> everlasting feel. argument question, right? Fulci or Argento? And there's there's the Argento people, and then there's the Fulci people. <laughs> well, for the, like I mentioned earlier, that like Trinity, mine would be ranked Bava, Argento, and Fulci. But Fulci's Fulci tickling Argento's balls really right, really hard. Yeah, I mean, I get the arguments. I really do. I really do. You know, even though like everybody knows Fulci's my favorite director, but I, I get the arguments completely. No disrespect. You know, I love moods. Oh yeah, yeah, and absolutely not. And I, I get why people like Argento more than Fulci, and I get why people don't even like Fulci at all. So it, <laughs> like it does. It doesn't hurt like my feelings. Richard Lewis over Fulci. <laughs> Right. Yeah, he, I, I got an argument. I got That is ridiculous. That's just crazy, but everyone's entitled to their opinion right all right so yeah that's uh that's going to conclude uh the intro and uh you guys ready to talk about some baba films yes all right so we'll be back the word i bring to you today is knowledge reign supreme no time to joke and play, cause knowledge reigns supreme. Alright, so before we get into the featured reviews here, uh, we're going to do a quick little knowledge. And of course, uh, Mario Bava is our topic for tonight. So we're going to do a quick little top 10 Mario Bava horror films. And this is according to ScreenRant.com. Have not looked at the list yet. I gotta say one thing real quick. Yes. Some people say Mario. Some people say Mario. I used to get bitched at all the time when I called Super Mario Brothers because my grandpa said Mario. And Cameron Mitchell used to call Mario Bava Mario. So I think it's older guys use the term Mario. Or in Italy, it's actually Mario. In America, it's been Americanized as Mario. What do you guys think? See, you got me thinking, how how am I saying it? You, right? am you I- say Mario Bava, but I bet when you say Super Mario Brothers, you say Mario. Mario, Mario. Bava. I usually say Mario, and I'm sure that's wrong. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure I would say Mario. Mario. I don't but know. Mario Bob. Like my grandpa and my I, grandpa said Mario too. So I think it might just be an old guy thing. I think it's I might Dario and Dario. Yeah, yeah I, I say, say Dario. Whatever, Dario. Well, it's like like Lucio Fulci. I say like everyone says his name differently. Lucio yeah. or Lucio, whatever. Lu- Lucio, Fulci, Falsi. Falsi, like Lucio, Lucio. Man, it's like I've, I've heard them all, man. No matter what, we say it too slow. Probably. Yeah, like a lot of times you get into French or Italy, it's, we always just have to enunciate excruciatingly every syllable. Oh, you know, man. I love Lucio Fault. You know, be Lucio <laughs> Fault. Like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, we're all from fucking Wisconsin when we say yeah, Italian right. names. You're like, I like that Sergio Martino. Exactly. I like that Sergio Tatino's pizzerias. I had a friend who, unfortunately, no longer with us, but she would, uh, she fluently spoke uh, French, and we would talk about, and I'm going to say it the wrong way, Jean Roland. And she would say, What did you just say? And, you know, she said, Jean Roland. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, Jean Roland. That's the one yeah, I actually it, do it, it's like. It's like sped up, very, you know, we yeah. just say things. Very I try to say Jean Roland. I think that's how I, I say remember, it. I, they used to fucking get mad at people when they say Jean Roland. It's come on, bro. Come on. But also, like, then speed it up, too. It's Jean Roland. Jean Roland. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like, you know, I mean, it's the misconception of Canadians is that we have French backgrounds, but I can't speak a lick of French. So, so <laughs> just how I'm pronouncing it is just how I'm pronouncing it, man. Like nobody speaks French in the West. So I'm like, you're that's just more the east right eastern canada yeah right you know in quebec and stuff and more eastern canada and stuff it's more prevalent over there but in the west where i'm no i mean we have french programs over here but like you wouldn't just it's not just a common thing right no one like over here we don't have signs that have french on them too like right. down south, more people, more even American people know know Spanish more than up north. And right. It's probably a very similar. I thing, probably know, you know more Spanish than I do French, to be honest. Spanish I know is more Spanish. It's over. an easy language to pick up, man. Like all the times I've been oh. in Mexico, I watch like the films, and I'm like, and it's all in Spanish. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'm picking Sp- it up. Spanish and Italian are actually very similar. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of words that just sound like English too. It's kind of some of those languages are just like hard as like Russian. I'm like, I don't know. Not even gonna try. I always joke about Russians, and and uh, they could be saying "I love you," and it just sounds like they want to kill you. Like it's just (laughs) the language is ugly. It's like hard. It's like a hard, ugly. Yeah, it's weird, man. All right, so top ten Mario Bava. Yeah, from Wisconsin. Had to overly pronounce Mario Bava. Mario. (laughs) I I didn't notice that when I was in Wisconsin. I guess I was too busy eating sausages and cheese or something like that. I I didn't notice that. Made fun of because I'd be like, "It's Super Mario Brothers." Like, what are you saying? Oh, what? Because my grandpa used to play. He played Super Mario Brothers, and he's like fucking seventy downstairs playing. My grandpa was weird, but it's funny because he wanted to get into it because he's like, "I want to check this stuff out," and he'd always be like, "God damn it, Dolores! This Super Mario Brothers is cheating me!" Trying to blame the game for falling off the cliff and shit. <laughs> right. Okay, so coming to number ten, uh, this already you didn't bugged. even let me know like what's going on here. Uh, we're just like doing you said top ten. Like what's so. I just pick a website. <laughs> Please let me know what's going on. You didn't, you didn't brief me during the commercial break. I was not briefed. Okay. Well, that that's even that's even better actually. Okay. So, so basically, what I do is when I do a top ten of whatever I'm doing, I'll just pick a, uh, I'll type it in, and whatever website comes out first that they have a top ten, I'll just I'll just lift it off. It's not actually just, us coming up with our personalized top ten of Mario Bava films. So. Yeah, so nothing, nothing is more reputable than Screen Rant. Yeah, I know, and like some of these websites, it just makes me, and that's what I like about it too, because some of them are just so horribly done. Just, the Rape Revenge list was so bad that we started predicting it halfway through when we were right every time. And it JP was, was like, "Now watch number one's going to be Kill Bill," and then it was, and we're like, "That's not a Rape Revenge." It was movie. so bad, and that's what made that so much fun because you know these websites are just not overly credible. But coming at number ten, and this already bugs me because they listed it as the Evil Eye. <laughs> as, uh, that's our gone. Already at you know the the alternate title Pretty fresh yeah the girl knew too much um from 1963 so yeah number ten number nine is the whip and the body okay um number eight is kill baby kill which I actually just recently rewatched again too too Great low baby. too low kill baby kill is uh it's got some creepy fucking moments in it man. Awesome. Yes. You can just watch that and be like, oh, I see where Lucio Falci and Dario Argento got their entire career from. Right, right. They're, yeah, <laughs> like, totally. No. Uh, number seven is Shock. Interesting. Number six is Lisa and the Devil. Okay. Number five is Hatchet for the Honeymoon. Oh, I can see Pretty where this awesome. list is going already. Number four. Put, what's that? I was going to say, I think I put Kill Baby Kill higher than all those except maybe uh, Whip in the Body. Mm-hmm. Number four, A Bay of Blood. Number three, 
Blood and Black Lace is exactly where I knew it was going. Oh, actually, I was completely wrong. Okay, number two is Black Sunday. And number one is Black Sabbath. I thought Sabbath. Hmm. I thought number one was going to be Black Sunday. And then, the way it was going, it looked that way. Yep. So there's one that's missing. Barely. Are these this is horror movies? Yeah, but the, I guess they considered um, the Evil Eye to be in the horror genre and left off Baron Blood. But I don't know if you guys would change those Jesus. out if you're just doing a straight horror list, or I don't know. Well, one reason I always consider, like when I make my debate of why I think he's not just my favorite, but I think he's the greatest horror film director of all time, is his his output is no one has the quantity and quality that he does. You know, Craven, Argento, Romero, all those Carpenter, they've had some really nasty duds later in their career, and Mario never had that. Mario, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, but, I like agree. in my mind, he made fourteen. Um, he made fourteen horror films, and to me, they're all great yeah he definitely does have um the quality matching the quantity which is very rare very consistent same thing with uh cronenberg but i will say this cronenberg's highs he has a couple highs but for me romero has like five tens i I don't think i have five tens for bava or cronenberg cronenberg has one of the greatest like streaks like year by year he put, yeah. he put together yeah. a really amazing run of like straight films. Like with Mario Bava, though, like he, yeah, he's got, you know, an amazing filmography of horror films, but he also, being an Italian director, was probably almost forced to do some of the other genre films. Um, yeah, it just definitely seemed, have five, ten Bavas, if not more, but yeah, that's obviously that's yeah, yeah. subjective. Right. That is subjective. But Bava, I'm also not as familiar with Bava as you. That's one yeah. thing that people don't take in consideration when they look at a classic movie. They'll be like, I, I didn't like it very much. It's like, but you should really look back and watch those movies three or four times, watch it five years later. And like classic movies, yeah, and, sure. I don't know, like your favorite director is somebody that you've had a relationship with almost your entire life and right. they grow yep. over time. So it's like you see things other people don't and they you may see rewatches are, are bad for any you opinion. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, like, I mean, Baba is consistently one of the best. Like I never watched one of his movies and thought, geez, that, that was a turd, you know? Yeah, that's why I always say it's just the quantity and quality, which I don't think you can name another horror film director that has that both those elements. I would say Cronenberg doesn't really have too many duds. But I, don't think, I don't think he's made 14 great horror films, though. No. No, I don't even think Cronenberg even made 14. Quantity. I don't yeah, think he quantity. made 14 horror films. No. Definitely I mean, like the quality, absolutely, he didn't have any duds. Yeah, oh, even, you know, even Fulci being my favorite director didn't make 14 amazing horror films. But I mean, if you if you factor in, like Dave said, even if you don't consider it amazing, like most people would not watch about films. Well, that that sucked. If you at least thought it was good, and I, that's just an that's an amazing number. Right. Terrence Fisher probably has fourteen good horror films. Yeah, Terrence Fisher's like that's yeah. I don't know, and uh, I think he uh, not as high as Baba though, because there's there's some mediocre ass shit in that Hammer Run. Not to be a dick, yeah, but for sure. There's some there's some sixes sixes in there for sure. Yeah. Very rarely does it ever go below a six in a Hammer movie, though, to be honest, which is very good. Yeah, production value is always there. Not always. But <laughs> well, for the, mo- for, for the most part, it You're is. You're always going to have at least, like, solid acting. You know? Yeah. I mean, they all always gave it their all, those you know, yeah, I mean, character actors, the consummate character actors. And right. Bama was working with nothing. That dude could fucking, he's just a, a master. 
doing everything. So he's a cinematographer too, right? Yeah, right. he started as a cinematographer. So I think like he his films are intrinsically beautiful because of that. And I'm such a, you know, two of my attributes that I love in film is like the cinematography and atmosphere. And he's he was obviously so great at both those things. Italian Hammer, all on his own. Yeah, watching Bava films, man, you can just see where most of the bigger directors just got their styles from, man. Especially when you see Argento films, man, like the lighting scheme. Sure. Like, like yeah. you, you just see that and you see some of the tracking shots and some of the way the, the atmosphere. The blood and black lace tracking shot. Yeah. Is like Dario that, bases. Like that's what I'm saying. I just the rewatched record. Argento gives him credit. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even oh, no, I'm not saying he's ripping him off. Yeah. Even Fulci didn't badmouth Bava and he badmouthed everybody. Right. Right, he just knew that he knew the importance of Bava's the way he made films and how much it influenced the entire Italian filmmaking circuit. Man, it really did. I mean, not everyone followed that. I mean, Bruno Mattei definitely didn't follow. In those did you see the amazing tracking shot? Does he even have a tracking shot no. in any one of his movies? No, I don't think there's any tracking in any of his movies. No, what are we talking about? Bruno Mattei. Bruno Mattei. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's. There's tracking shots in Claudio Fergazzo, I believe. The running yeah, scene in yeah. Zombie 4, yeah. Right. Well, a better director. <laughs> Which is kind of funny when you think about that. Because Fergazzo was like writing all of Matai's stuff. It's weird. He's just writing bad shit for Bruno and then making his... <laughs> He's making better movies better. himself. <laughs> <laughs> I need the good shit for myself. That's hilarious. All right. Well, anyways, that's just a quick little... Um, I always find them fun to do screenrant.com's top 10 agree disagree eh it is what it is it's not really important it's just fun to do but we'll be back here momentarily and now Feature presentation. Yo, who this? Yo, Modes, it's your boy, the ill-mented funky child, calling you to remind you that the featured reviews on this episode contain spoilers. Aw, oh, yeah, man, that's right, brother. Thanks for the heads up, player. Now go back to being an unproductive asshole. Fuck you. I tell your listeners to stop being so dumb, silly, sensitive. Yeah. All right, so getting into the featured reviews here on episode 216, Mario Bava Volume Deuce. All right, so we're going to take it back to some early Bava with a film from 1963 titled The Whip and the Body. And we talked off, or we we mentioned off the beginning of the show. Dave, this was a first time watch for you, and I'm sure, Dave, or and I'm sure, uh, Tom, you've seen this movie many, many times. I can't imagine that you would be able to put a even approximate approximate number on that. <laughs> this was a film I actually picked this year for. Um, we have our like annual like Halloween marathon, and this was my pick this year. And Hope had never, my daughter Hope had never seen it, so mm. I actually, so I actually had watched it recently. But yeah, I've seen it, of course, many times. Yeah, and yeah. really surprised that Dave hasn't seen it before. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not as uh, well versed in Baba as I should be. Um, this is like going to be one of the times where I'm like on a podcast with two people that like school me in Italian horror for the most part. You know what I mean? Especially when it comes to Baba. 
your guys' knowledge is a lot deeper than mine. Like I, I see some of the stuff that uh, Tom pulls out on his uh, Instagram, and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't have any idea what the hell that is. Like some of these uh, other Euro horror movies that I have to track down myself. All right. Um, do you guys do the the Halloween uh, marathon thing? Do you, do you do it in your house? Because didn't you used to rent? Like a like a theater or or do it somewhere outside of your house before that, we always wanted to do that but we never did yeah it's always in our home and this was this year was weird because unfortunately like with us moving you know we didn't have our usual crew of friends so it was just the, the family version but right right I gotta say before we dig in here uh, I have a beer here and I would be remiss if I didn't say chars to all your listeners oh uh, yeah chars to the chars awesome drinking nifty man that's one thing man you always like your location you find the coolest well you know craft beers man like the you know the artworks and stuff on those things are just fantastic man i can never come across cool or cool looking things like that man it's another thing about where we live now we're kind of in this uh area that just has even like just tons of breweries and yeah yeah my beer probably will get bigger now i i just think it's so cool like all the horror theme ones and just the artworks on those things are absolutely phenomenal yeah. it's just very very cool but it's getting to the point like even jeremy sent me a picture uh just a few days ago he was in the, the beer store and he's like he sent me a picture of the craft beer section and it was like a hundred yards long he's like how yeah. do you he's like how do you choose man i'm like well i guess you just have to kind of break it down to what you really like right but and a lot of times it's it's not good, but that's, that's kind of cool. It's like it's like a slip cover, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> but then you put a pretty picture on a shitty beer, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm sure that happens a lot, too, man. I mean, you got to have those pretty artworks, man. You got to separate yourself from the pack now somehow. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got a craft beer, right? So do you have a list like a uh, it goes on the list if it's that bad that you never buy that brand again? A pretty, I pretty rem- I have a good memory ironically of, of what beers alcohol is <laughs> right right okay so the whip and the body it's it's funny too because on indb here it actually says the whip and the flesh <laughs> that's what it's labeled under i just realized that that's weird must be one of the many alternate names for it i guess but i'll do a quick little uh synopsis i'll read the synopsis which they're always hilarious to read off because they're usually wrong they're always yeah. wrong it, it, like who writes this shit but anyways okay <laughs> what the, f- the ghost of a sadistic nobleman attempts to rekindle his romance with his terrorized uh sadomasochistic former lover who is unwillingly engaged to his brother it's not completely accurate the ghost We're not inaccurate either <laughs> the ghost of a sadistic <laughs> nobleman attempts to rekindle his romance with his terrorized I'm Masoch- showing my age, but it sounds like some like masochistic like, former lover. Hmm. Early '90s USA, up all night, like you know, soft soft core. <laughs> yeah, it sounds <laughs> like a cheese fest. See, the, see, the thing is with the way that the way this thing's worded right now is because, like, you know, um, I, I I guess I probably should say, you know, this movie starring Christopher Lee, who plays Kurt, um, when he shows back up at the castle in the beginning of the film, you know, he's obviously not very well liked for various reasons and stuff, but he's not a ghost. He's not no. there. He's not trying to re- rekindle his romance with his, you know, uh, uh, with his former lover. He was. He was. Are we flesh. spoiling here? He was. Fle- you yeah. know what? I, I'm What's gonna the spoiler I, rule here. I'm. I'm actually gonna put the spoiler warning before this. Uh, before the review. So yeah, well, we can talk for yeah. freely about this. And I feel like we need to. Yeah, because he's not a ghost at first, and then that's you think point. he's a ghost, but he's not fucking there. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's where this <laughs> is kind of misleading. It's like the ghost of a sadistic nobleman. I'm like, well. 
you know, but so to, to give it a little bit more backstory, basically, um, yeah, Christopher Lee plays uh, Kurt Menliff in the film, and he's... Just, you have to say it right. Menliff is the worst Kurt. last name. Menliff, Kurt. yeah. Menliff yeah, is such Kurt. a bad fucking name. Kurt. They say it'd be a good drinking game because they say Kurt a lot. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt. So he shows back up at the castle after being away for some time. And it's solely because his brother is now engaged to his previous lover, his uh, masochistic lover that he was, you know, that he was involved in and stuff like that. But everyone hates him around there because they have this one servant by the name of Georgia, I believe is what her name is. I think that's what her name is. Anyways, she blames. I love that actress, by the way. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome, man. She blames Kurt for basically making her daughter dead. Um, some shit went down, and she ultimately committed suicide. And and you know he bl- or the, everyone kind of blames Kurt for pushing her over the edge to commit suicide. So he's not very well liked and stuff like that. Um, so all this kind of shit's going down, and we get this insane scene where he actually tracks down his uh, his brother's fiance, his ex lover, and he basically whips the shit out of her, and ultimately kind of forces himself on her and stuff like that and that kind of leads to kurt ending up dead he ends up dead and now it's kind of a mystery of uh you know more or less who killed him and really what's going on in the film um tom we'll start with you what are your thoughts on the movie i think the thing with this one and like reading that description it it, like it's kind of silly but at the same time it is somewhat accurate i always every no matter how many times i've seen this film it still always surprised me that it, it came out in 1963 right it definitely was ahead of its time for yeah i think, like, I, it's I think so for overtly it's an overtly bdsm film and right he, and, but yet it's done it's not like in the the sleaze factor so the fact that it's done with such elegance is i think really actually remarkable for the time that's one thing about mario bava though man like he he separates himself from the from a lot of Italian directors in the fact that like he can do things in a sexualized way, but not go into that sleazy territory where it's like kind of eye rolling and stuff. If you look right. at if you look at his filmography and you look at all these type of movies, there's very very little nudity in any of these movies. Like but we it's get a, still menacing, you know. It's like yeah, like this, we, this is still a a true you know uh, like I said BDSM film. The On, ideas are there, very prevalent, but he's not. I don't even want to say he's not exploitative because it is exploitative, but it's not over the line where it's like a Franco where it's like 30 minutes of just open the JJ, you know, I feel like this movie has always been had or kind of it's misunderstood a little bit for the simple fact that like, if you look, if you take this movie, if you look at the narrative on the surface, all you see Kurt, as the sadistic, you know, kind of like overpowering person that's, you know, pretty much into the sadomasochistic sex and shit like that and forces himself upon people and shit like that. But the really interesting aspect of this movie is the fact that the girl that his former lover is pretty much into it as much as he is. Exactly. That's that's the big facet of the film. That's, I think. And, well, and the I, reveal at the end, too, like shows yeah. you, you know, that right. it was more than meets the eye. It wasn't yeah. just a yeah. one-sided thing which because like as you see him whipping her in the first scene like yeah it's fucking painful and shit like that but if you're just kind of seeing it for that for him whipping her you're like okay that's kind of fucking brutal but then you're looking at if you watch her she's enjoying it man yeah it's a stop don't stop thing you know yeah exactly and and that kind of goes through the whole film and stuff and i think it's very misunderstood that like she is just as much into this as you know and and it plays out like she you know i love kurt like i only love you blah 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 and stuff like she's trying to play it off like she really does hate her because she can't admit to herself the entire movie that she's just as bad as he is 
right? That's, that's why I think it's you got to consider it. It's it's a it's a provocative narrative. You know, it's just not done as Dave said so explicitly, but yeah, it's just as yeah. effective, if not more, to me. It is because well, it, ma- it makes you think. Old school way movies, right? It makes you made. think. It makes you really do. It makes you really Where, kind of think of this narrative, and it is so ahead of its time. Because I mean, 1963. How many movies had any type of masochistic shit in it? You that know, weren't yeah. out, downright cheap sleepies. Besides that yeah. point, yeah, that stuff that's just so you something know something with production values like this to do something like this. I think is and with stars too, they had stars yep. in it. Yeah, that's why I, I always forget. Like I'll, I'll look at that. For some reason, in my mind, I always consider this film like a seventies film because that's what it feels like. It oh, does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah. If you look at the American counterparts at the time, you had Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, and then you look at the Italian counterparts, and you're just like. And I mean, there weren't even there were some AIP movies were probably the best America had to offer at that time, right? Which is not a no slouch, but right, it wasn't this, right. it wasn't this at all. What I always think about though with this film is just, um, and this is like why I love it so much. Obviously, it's it's a really beautiful film. It's like I always call it like it's the most blue film. Mm-hmm. It's literally the colors are it's always blue and purple like through the whole film, um, but it's just oppressively atmospheric to me. It's just so so atmospheric like this is a great uh movie to show someone to kind of like obviously like blood and black lace would probably be like you'd show someone who's not into baba maybe about the colors and stuff but this film is the blue tint and the cinematography match with that atmosphere to me is just so baba i'm I'm glad you said that you said oppressive and that's the perfect word for it because when i was watching this movie sorry about that movie i just got get this idea out because it correlates directly with that when i was watching this i saw like the blue and the green and mm-hmm. it was a beautifully shot and the atmosphere is beautiful and the howling wind outside by the mm-hmm. water and i thought this house looks cold this yeah. the feeling the emotion everything about this house is cold and i don't want to fucking be here that's what i thought i, was yeah. like, I don't it's a beautiful mansion but i don't want to be there like it doesn't, was the, doesn't that wind it. literally continue through the whole film i'm mm-hmm. pretty sure, I'm sure. It, does. it does like i don't think it stops yeah, this movie has like just unrelentless atmospheric. Like even the transition shots. Like I like the shots from the beach up on the up on the oh, castle yeah, and stuff. But it's the color. It's yeah. the color palette yeah. in this movie that really it really sucks you in literally because it it's kind of ironic a little bit because it does have this kind of bluish gray green tinge to it, and it almost comes off feeling warm in vision. But you know that shit ain't warm though. It's cold. It, yeah, it's it, like it, a beautiful place you don't want to be there. Exactly. It has this kind of like complimentary look and feel to it's it's really hard to explain. Something you almost have to see, but yeah, one of the well, most not to get too too meta here, but it's kind of like when she's, you know, stop, don't stop. Like Right. You know, it's a private you want you want to be there, you don't want to be there. And it's kinda of like what she's feeling, you know, in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh oh man, and it's got a absolutely beautiful score to the film. You know, the music complements the atmosphere. And um, I do I do have to ask, like, what are your guys' thoughts on Kurt's death scene? Oh, it's pretty graphic for the time. It's an interestingly shot scene. Is that what, that's what the, like, the blind, the yeah. drapes? Yeah. Right, like, yeah. he, he goes into that room and then he's kind of got his back towards the, uh, the the drapes and then all of a sudden it's like something goes down, but, like... They're I, trying to obscure it, for sure. Completely, because you never see what happens. Like you do, but you don't. I love that scene. Yeah, because there's a lot of motive. I mean, it could be the the maid. It could be himself. It could be well, obviously the that, the former lover. That's what I love about father, it because the ambiguity. The oh yeah, that's the ambiguity of the scene is crazy because it really does open the doors for everybody because they set it up perfectly because he's hated by everybody. And obviously, it's also, 
yeah, you're thinking Georgia, like, I mean, she had every motive in the world to do to, to make him dead, you know, to kill him. I think there's also some commentary on just like marriage and fate and like relationship decisions. Like, cause his, his brother, it, you know, it shows that he's in love with the, is it the, the maid, the daughter yeah. um, that they have, a, but it's like, they can't do it because they're all, you know, the choice has been made for them. And so there's kind of like that thing, that element too under, and there's, the element with the father being in love with Luciano Pagazzi, right, but right. Not just <laughs> right, right, right. So you kind of. Right, I'm just making sure nobody know that's false. That is false narrative. <laughs> 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 that's not actually in the movie. No, no. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting. <laughs> the narrative unfold unfolds itself pretty interesting in this movie because, like, once you get the reveal at the end, it does actually make a little bit of sense because, I mean just based on who dies in the movie, like when the father gets killed and stuff, um, that's one thing that's always been kind of interesting to me about how he dies. And I, that, that his death scene is so bizarre because it just happens. It just kind of shows up and he's dead and stuff. And, um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? That whole, like the way that all kind of transpires. He's old. It wouldn't be that hard to kill. He's uh, ill the whole fucking movie, right? It's yeah. Just- I don't remember if he just died of fright or how did he die in the movie. I can't remember. I believe they show it. No, they don't. That's the thing. The the fireplace opens, right? That's all that happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's they insinuate that Christopher Lee got him as a ghost because Lee knew where it was earlier. But but that's but that's the thing though. Like, I mean, they insinuate that you know he possibly could have killed him and stuff. But I mean, if you really do look at, I mean, even though his father wasn't very happy with with Kurt. I mean, if you look at it in the long run, I mean, he doesn't not really kill each other. That's the thing. He's not going to kill his father. Right. So if you're, if you're paying attention to the movie, you're just like, well, it's gotta be, it, it, you know, it can't be him and stuff, but I really do like the way this song, like my own. Okay. I only have two major problems. I, this whole movie is fantastic to me. You know, it's got everything I want. It's got a beautiful score. It's got great cinematography. It's got great acting. It's got great set pieces. You know, it's got a, it's got a really interesting flow to the movie too i've heard a lot of people say that that they love this movie but they hate this movie at the same time because it's so boring and i'm like but the narrative doesn't allow it to move at like flash gordon pace it's supposed to be slow you know that's the point of the atmosphere and stuff it's it's a build-up to what's really happening right it's also like what where you place the kind of the 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 attributes that we talk about like as someone who loves cinematography and atmosphere this is just like a you know yeah a buffet that's really but if someone's not really you know and that's the thing with some people with the whole atmosphere argument to some people it's considered you know bore boredom but for other people it's just like i I just lap it up you know Mm -hmm. this one i I get multiple viewings too i imagine for right. sure, yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I feel like this is one of those movies that, like, you probably don't soak everything in after one watch. You watch it for a couple of times, especially the, the ending, right? The ending. Because, like, okay, this is the, what I was kind of alluding to. It's not like I don't like the ending. I think it's beautiful. It's poetic. You know, it, it's got a lot of things going for it and stuff. But I always had an issue with it being that it kind of turns itself into more into a tragedy when it doesn't really have to be like that. Because... In reality, I mean, if the killer is who it is, her, <laughs> right? I mean, and then she ends up thinking that she's going to kill Kurt, but then ends up stabbing herself. It kind of, it, it turns into this tragedy for myself. And I'm like, man, but if you look at it like, well, she was the one that was doing, like she killed him and most likely killed yeah. the father too. 
I mean, she's also like, mentally ill. Kind yeah. of like I know, I know you a can, lot like I know you can look at it like that too. But I'm just saying, if she is responsible for two murders and stuff, and then the way it's done at the end, it does come, it does play itself off as being like a straight tragedy. Considering how they do it too, right? Like, I mean, she's literally hugging the ghost of Kurt, but and she's, she's like, sympathetic. Argh. She's yeah. a sympathetic uh, like lead because in half the movie she's kind of like the protagonist, but at the end she ends up being her own antagonist. Yeah. Right, kinda, right. She's and, and trying I, to she's trying to fight it through the whole thing. You know, see, these are and the things I never picked her up. Relationship with Kurt earlier probably damaged her, and they probably were not good yeah. for each other. You right. Know? I right. mean, it, it's it's really I like the ending. I mean, no, it's kind of it, like the it's more. Good. It makes um, you think. You also, it also don't makes know you feel the supernatural element started or not. Yes, you can, re- you can she actually possessed. Different. Yeah, she could have been, or she maybe could've. the guilt just drove her right over the top. See, like for me, the things I never thought about years ago watching this movie was the fact that like she was into it just as much as Kurt was and stuff. So like right there, if you, if you put that notion in, in, in as a factor, right? For some reason, that's just the way I am. I'm like, okay, I'm not as sympathetic because when you like i said before when she's being whipped and shit like that if you're not looking at like her enjoying it as much as you know she actually was you know then you just kind of feel sorry for her like she's the victim here she's being fucking totally taken advantage of she's being whipped and against her will and shit like that but the fact that she's into that shit makes her a little bit less sympathetic in the in the end that's why it comes off as being a tragedy you're trained to be into it it could be no and and also she's obviously mentally ill if she thinks there's two people or being haunted i mean she it's a sympathetic killer, right? Like Norman Bates is a sympathetic killer. But the thing those is, those are the best killers, right? But, but the thing is with that though, because if she's responsible for killing Kurt in the first place, is she? Does she go fully insane after the fact of killing Kurt? Yeah, that's probably was a little cool bit crazy. about it. You don't really know when, and yeah, you can also like be into something, but also have shame and regret for and right. guilt for that. Absolutely. Whether yeah, that's guilt like is sex and religion. Right, they yeah. like having sex, but they're ashamed of it. Right. Well, and, th- so and that's that that, that's her whole angle. Involved. That's her whole angle in the movie, man. Is because she basically kills Kurt because she can't handle the fact that she likes it more than she fucking should, and she feels ashamed right. of it. And she feels like yeah. if she gets rid of him, then you know yeah. it kind of ends that whole thing, and then she doesn't have to worry about liking and and being that person that she doesn't want to be. I get that whole thing, you know. And yeah. it's funny because those are the things that you don't really notice maybe the first time around watching and stuff, and then exactly. And then when you see the ending and you watch the movie a couple more times, you're like, oh my god like she was really liking this shit is, is is she supposed to be sympathetic in the end or do i feel like she is supposed to be but but do i yeah. feel sympathetic towards her even though like she's insane but she did commit these crimes and she kind of kills herself so it turns into this tragedy there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. it's why this movie is not only visually beautiful but it's it's very it's very poetic in narrative yeah, like too yeah the, po- the the poetic side of it is and obviously with poetry there's layers of interpretation i think that's what makes it so appealing to me right. anyway Right. It's, it's a good double feature with Hatchet for the honeymoon, which shows a different side of a killer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little less sympathetic, I would say, than right. this one. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's very sympathetic at all. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also way more messed up. I think that they're both yeah. really fucked up. For but sure. if you've never seen this film and you don't really care, for, I mean, you, you kind of roll your eyes when someone talks about atmosphere, it's, it's not for you. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, and that's. Watched, I know it's gonna sound shitty, but I don't think you've watched enough movies if you don't like atmosphere. Yeah, agreed. But they're definitely out there, you know. Yeah, everybody's different. Some people also fucking suck on their toes to get toe jam out. So <laughs> that's true. Gross. <laughs> Do not ever. I'm such don't, a shit talker. Don't man. ever say that again. On how much I have, I'm like, I, I gag even at the thought of looking at someone's foot. I can't handle anything to do with feet, and you saying that right now is making me yeah, gag. I'm a big, I'm a big, I got feet, 
foot phobia. Me too, oh, man. Do you guys I'm, really? I don't. I don't. No, care everybody about feet knows either like, way. Actually, I don't care. Feet or feet. Like my feet. my wife will put her feet up like near me or something. And I I'm, I freak out. It just it drives me nuts, dude. You know what it doesn't me out. Are those toe socks? <laughs> What's a toe sock? Yeah, it's a sock that actually like goes around your each toe. That's so almost, almost like a glove. Right. It's just like a glove for your foot. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, it freaks me out, man. But I don't really give a shit about feet. Like I don't like fetish stuff. I'm just like it is what it is. Most of the like I'm not into it, but also it doesn't bother me. Anyway, yeah, she yeah. was crazy, huh? <laughs> you think she was in the feet? Oh man, I, yeah. I don't like that Christopher Lee's not dubbed his own voice in here. That's kind of sad. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to mention. Actually, it's close the, enough. The whole, um, you know, it's actually kind of ironic because. Christopher Lee is actually on record saying that this is his favorite of his uh, of all the European movies that he did, and yeah. it's the only movie that he never voiced himself. And yeah. the story is is that you know he was he finished the film and he was off doing another project and he he couldn't really come back to do it, so he just kind of just didn't do it, which he must he obviously regretted not doing, and that's why I ended up voicing all his other european roles and stuff but it is it is I will admit that's the one downfall to this movie because Christopher Lee has such an amazing voice it's just so powerful yeah. and it's so controlling yeah. and it would have been so perfect for this role to hear his voice considering the character that for he sure. played right so Indeed. i it's definitely one of those moments where you're like damn it it's a missed opportunity and i know he regrets it because like you said it's his favorite movie they ever did in europe so kind of a kind of a missed opportunity but yeah he was a big baba fan like i've read this so interview one time where he just said he loved loved working with him right Right. I did. I hear conflicting things that at first he was very leery about doing the bondage stuff. Like he was like, I don't fucking know. But I, I don't see know. that. I don't know if that's 100% true. I mean, I could see it, but then again, you see him in the fucking wicker man and he's like cross dressing and dancing yeah. around. And you're just like, <laughs> I don't know if Christopher Lee gives a fuck. As, as like conservative as his attitude is, well, like when it comes to acting, he gets all into it. In, in his defense, though, and I think given the time periods are a little bit different, 1963 doing bondage stuff wasn't. 1973, yeah. In 1973 was completely different. I mean, we're full blown sleazebag films by now. Right. I mean, it was yep. just the, it was the norm. But in 1963, I think everything was a little bit more conservative. This was pretty damn racy. I, I couldn't even imagine watching oh, yeah. this movie in 1963 and being like, holy shit, man. Like what? The, like people probably had never even seen anything like that before. Unless alone, you were into that, you know, underground. shit. Right. <laughs> like it was so new and that, it must have been a little bit disturbing for sure. I can get that. But I mean, Christopher Lee, he, you know, he's British more conservative i guess so it made a little bit more sense well, but he's we, like a military guy too so yeah it's racy man just doing anything racy for the first time it's like yeah so but yeah definitely a missed opportunity but you know it doesn't you know the more i remember watching this movie and being like holy christ i can't get past the fact that he didn't do his he didn't dub his own oh, voice really? yeah man it really bugged me for a long time because i was christopher lee is one of my favorite actors of all time it's like christopher lee oh, yeah, vincent sure. price like it, it's like vincent price doing a movie and not having yeah, his, own, his be, voice you'd be like uh what maybe it yeah. doesn't bother me as much because it, it literally is the only time it happens so i don't know maybe it's not a really bad voice either you know yeah, it's, it's not, not like they got in there and it was like fucking bruno Mattei dubbing or fucking or something Gil- like that gilbert godfrey or something <laughs> Jeez. yeah i think the um the guy that dubbed him like was he an american guy i think the voice is american right 
It's like a like an American accent in there. I'm not sure. I can't yeah, remember. There was no accent. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing that's a little bit off putting too. Just if they had a, had a British guy or just something to do in the same kind of realm, but it's coming off as like an American accent. It's weird to me too. I don't know. But where's this located at? Where's this movie supposed to take place? And it's like kind of a question mark, like Eastern Europe somewhere. But where is it by the water like that? Yeah. Like is that a sea or something? Is that like I don't. Know, I would like assume. My shit. I feel like it's it's in italy somewhere i mean it but would the, make but the, the funeral procession seemed russian the guy in the funeral was like rasputin jr or some shit yeah, that's eastern yeah. europe stuff right? yeah it could be yeah. uh, i never really thought about loki i just always kind of assumed that the castle and, and those shots were purpose. done you know i mean those those transitions uh those establishing shots and shit i think are they're probably shot around there i would assume but I don't, yeah, I don't mean where it's actually shot, but I mean like oh, where it's actually supposed to be taking place. Be, yeah, right. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. It's supposed to be vague. I think it, it works for it, though. I think it really. Yeah, does. there's no problem with it. No, no. I mean, that's probably one of the last things I ever think about too. I'm just like, where, where is this actually supposed to be taking place? <laughs> well, I'm gonna take off a whole mark for that. Not. You yeah, know, disclosing where it's taking place like here. Is this you're taking your points off of that shit. You're just hating the movie already. Right, right. <laughs> I don't like that shoe he's wearing. That's not a date. <laughs> this has atmosphere negative five. Right. <laughs> negative five. I believe the point for the atmosphere it was good, but atmosphere is stupid. I, I don't even like atmosphere. I don't even need it to breathe. I remember one time I was watching. I was I watched this movie and I was like reading this review. And it was a period piece. And one of the person's biggest complaints about the film was that the the costumes weren't exactly proper. Like they, the, some of the costumes used were definitely from like a different era, which was newer. So they weren't even out then and stuff. And I was like, yeah, OK, I mean, I get it. If you're like really if that's something you want to focus on, I get it when it's you're doing a period piece. Right. And I was like, OK, this guy's, you know, after reading, I'm like, whatever, you know, he's not a full blown idiot, but it's still a little it's 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 a big nitpick, you know, kind of thing. So anyways, I'm watching this indie uh, Western horror film years ago, and uh, it was taking place in uh, late to 1880s or something like that or whatever the fuck it was. And and there was a scene where a guy's wearing these jeans and it just like dawned on me. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that they didn't have those prior or around this time. I think they came later. So I like did a quick Google. I'm like, yeah, these Wranglers, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, sure. Shit. They didn't even they weren't even invented for like another 12 years or some shit. I'm like, oh, motherfucker. Four out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, you fell into it. But it, but it was just one of those. No, it, but the movie sucked. It was a horrible. No, he was wearing an Adidas shirt. No, it was an indie film. It was like an <laughs> indie western film. And it was a horrible, horrible film. It was really, really bad. Like I think I ended up giving it like a two out of ten or something. But I, it just kind of made me laugh because I actually thought about that moment where this guy was nitpicking the costumes and stuff, and here I am googling jeans and shit. Oh yeah, it wasn't until 1886. <laughs> Pushing up your glasses and shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there was the, the one that was the blitzkrieg 69 i was just like watching it and like it was world war ii like nazi fucking death camp movie and there was like literally a woman like nude with like tattoos all over her body and i was like this is supposed to be 1943 what's <laughs> happening here and I, I don't know i was being nitpicky like on this exploitation movie that cost three bucks probably because it was over an hour and 10 minutes and it shouldn't be <laughs> what the fuck is the movie so ah oh, what is it man i think it's the i think the, the riz is in the movie and it's like a period piece of some shit. Anyways, his like Wu Tang tattoo is visible and it's like completely should not be there. 
I, I can't remember what it is now, but I remember someone complaining about that one time. And I was like, oh, fuck, whatever. Who cares? It's like a, it's like a World War II movie. Somebody's got like a fucking Ghostbusters tattoo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but that's pretty much what happened, right? It's like the clan shouldn't even have been out then. But then you have like, you have big budget Hollywood movies that are like a period piece and they forgot to take off the bottle of spring water on one of the tables, you know? It's yep. like, oh man, that does yeah. happen though, man. Right. Definitely. 100%. And that's, you know, that's the main issue with making period pieces that they're so hard to get 100% accurate because you might fuck up and have something a little bit more modern or whatever. Because people know a lot. People know shit about everything. They're like, they're like, uh, no, that, that China right there wasn't even made until this year. It's like, I'm out of, mom, I need more Cheetos. Right. It's like, oh my God. I can't use bendy toys from 1994 when it's supposed to be 1990, 1990. Yeah. Like something 84 to 1990. (laughs) So silly. So silly. Which Bendy toy wasn't made until 91. <laughs> so which Bendy toy? Oh, you don't know anything. Why does she have toe socks on? <laughs> right. I've been jerking off since them since 2012. <laughs> this is supposed to be 2000. <laughs> I think I think that's why a lot of these you know type period pieces and, and movies like this and stuff are they're left a little bit more. It, 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 there's a there's ambiguity to the when they're set and stuff because then you can't fuck those little things up that people nitpick at you know yeah yeah it's probably the better way of really doing it because if you all you all you need to know is that it is a it, you know it's set in a different time it's like you don't need to know the exact year it doesn't really fucking yeah. matter unless you're doing like a you know a, something based off a real story or whatever getting those years is probably the correct thing to do but in these cases man it is I, I love ambiguity in films a lot you know things you got to figure out on your own and you know i'm fine with that i'm fine with that so but uh should we get into ratings tom we rate on a 10 scale here okay if you've never listened to us rate before so we'll start with you what is your rating on the whip in the body i give this one a solid nine okay dave all right. Well, it had atmosphere. It's a negative. <laughs> Period piece, not accurate with, with the clothing. Yep. I had no idea where this took place, and that's also a negative. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Georgia no, was wearing tube socks. She's wearing tube socks. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, um, if I had to get whipped by somebody, it would be Christopher Lee. I'm going to give it eight and a half. I really enjoyed it. Oh, nice. I'm at the, I same, mean, ra- I, I, I'm at the same rating as Tom. Nine out of ten. I'm sticking with my rating. Great film. Really, really great film, so... And yeah, that is going to conclude The Whip in the Body from 1963. Beware of barren blood. All right, so continuing along here with the second film from 1972, which is actually a year we did a top 10 on, and I don't remember if this made anyone's list. I actually can't remember. And it is uh, Barren Blood. For as much as people didn't like 72, I thought 72 is a pretty damn good year, to be honest. A lot of good films. I would have liked it. It was fun. It was a fun year. All right, so Baron Blood, quick little synopsis. A young man visiting the castle of a murderous ancestor in Austria accidentally brings his dead relative back to life, searching for new victims. I think that's the short synopsis of it. Yeah, the other one is whatever. All right, so Baron Blood. First time watch, Dave. What are your thoughts on this one? 
Um, this one is probably my least favorite of the three. Spoiler. This also did not make anyone's top ten. I'm not seeing it there. But I did enjoy it. I did like it. Uh, I noticed that all three of uh, Mario Baffa's movies that we picked for this one, where I picked, all had one big star in this. This one is uh, Joseph Cotton, which mm. is a classic actor. He's one of these actors that I only really know from popping up in horror movies, even because when his career was like, kind of on the downslope. Um, this right. one was cool. I like the hereditary feel, the castle, where the guy's kind of like, I mean, hereditary feel, how he's like, well, I want to see the old castle, and then they fucking do some bullshit. Like, every every movie ever does that, right? Where they're like, well, let's just do this, read this paper thing. But no, this one plays more like kind of a proto-slasher than you would expect, you know? Uh, well, they didn't kind of read it. Creeping around the castle. I think they were just reading it just to have a little bit of fun. They they weren't actually yeah, reading yeah. it like the most cliched stories where they let's read the incantation and uh, be like. Well, oh, he was also interested in his history, right? The family right. history, and and I yeah, like that had, stuff. He the had best. personal reasons to be into yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like he was a straight descendant and he wanted to know more and stuff. But like most of these movies do play over like we're going to read this and bring him back for sure. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really play itself. All like I mean, that, yeah, but. they're nonsense. Like even Cemetery and Terror, like we're kidnapping this body and taking it to this location. This is a lot of work for fucking whatever <laughs> you're doing. This is nonsense. But it happens in every movie. But I like the um, like uh, impaling them. On, from the castle is fucking a great touch. Managed me to Vlad the Impaler, and that yeah. was very cool. Yeah. Um, and I like the look of the creature. I like when he comes back and he's just like bleeding all over the fucking place and he goes right to the doctor. So it's like, it's weird, like supernatural shit kind of plays somewhat in reality. So it's a good mixture, you know? Uh, yeah, this one, it, it's fine. It's cool. It's entertaining. I like that it's in a castle. I like that it's got a nice cast. It's got uh, Luciano Pagazzi again in here. And uh, the hanging scene's pretty fucking awesome, too. Pretty brutal and memorable it's kind of a weird blend like when you think about when the reveal happens in this movie and you look back into the film <laughs> you're like what yeah i don't understand that he like changes out what was happening was he healing I well no know. like okay and it's it's awesome you brought up that one part where you know when he first gets brought back and stuff and he does some shit and he goes straight to the doctors right and it's like yeah if you think back by the end of the reveal you're like or by the end of the movie and the reveal you're like well, what the fuck like you know, he, like it's a big, that, it. that's a big stage show right there. But all for what though? Yeah, because I mean, like the blood's constantly flowing. They say barren blood wherever he goes, the blood flows. Right. So he goes like under the door and shit. So I don't know. It, it's a little strange. This one, like I said, it's it's the last, the least one that like makes sense to me. I guess I'll say, but also, like I said, it was probably the most approachable for a, a modern audience. I guess. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like universal monster type vibe to it. Yeah, I, I like the torture room. The dungeon room's fucking awesome with all the weapon. He throws a couple of people in those devices too. Let me ask you guys a question. I've I've always said you know this movie definitely plays itself like a proto slasher, just like Dave said. I mean, it's pretty obvious the way it instantly plays itself out. Um, I mean, Bob, I guess was you know historically known for that i guess with bay of blood though too right this one kind of plays off the same way it, it does play itself off as being a little bit more supernatural and stuff and then we get a reveal that kind of denounces that a little bit but um but still very gothic of but it but it is very gothic and stuff um i don't know man this one right here i feel like sometimes i kind of wanted it not to go in the direction it did you know, like I felt if it stayed in, you know, on the whole supernatural element, I think I probably would enjoy this more. Like, I really do like this movie. Like the the one thing about this movie, I think that it kind of suffers from it's a little bit too long. 
honestly the, the runtime it does overstate its welcome just a tiny bit and i think there's I a little see that for sure there's there's a little bit slower moments i think that they had to tighten it up a little bit but you know i don't really have a problem with the reveal in this film i just think i enjoy i always find myself enjoying this movie a little bit more based on the supernatural elements of it because he looks so damn cool man Right. Like that, that was a pretty damn good costume that, you know, and the whole idea of bleeding blood everywhere and shit. And he's just this like relentless killer, like so, giving no so the fu- reveal. Here. Sorry, I'm, I'm confused. Like the, the whole reveal here, like I, I'm not remembering correctly. Then was he actually not barren blood? What the fuck? I don't remember. He is, but it's like he's not the same character. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, like, yes, but did he heal or was he just like putting on an outfit? Okay, so that I figured like he healed throughout time and got back to his normal self because there was a curse on him originally, right? But that's but that's the point. That's the point of the thing that I don't really understand. I've never understood is like, so is he when he kills? Is it healing him even though he's under this curse because he's been brought back under the notion that he's being cursed, but he can heal himself by killing? Is that how he becomes the barren blood? See, like that's where the supernatural element comes in because if you come back as this hideous creature monster and then you're essentially healing yourself by killing, which I don't think is ever mentioned, but I feel like that's where it's probably supposed to be going in the narrative. Do you understand? Or he's yeah, wearing an outfit, right? Or he's wearing an outfit as Joseph Cotton, right? Or he's putting a disguise on as Cotton. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I never thought like he was not a monster. Like when he came mm-hmm. out I, and for a second, the way you were explaining that, I was like, wait, so that Baron blood was a disguise. Like that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. Like he had to be the monster. Yeah. Just like the, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he gets brought back, but then he, he becomes like, so, human it is a weird it becomes like, so human does he be- yeah it doesn't make any sense right it almost seems like he's straight up human at the end like he was literally put on a costume but i think what is being implied is that when he comes back and he starts doing his tendencies that he was doing 300 years ago which was killing people that is like almost like therapeutic to him and it, it heals him into this almost human body no no i got it i got it when it's, the castle is being revived to its original state starts to put him back to his original state so that is contributing because that's where I it was going so. to next because i thought it could be you know what you're probably right because actually when they the re- do they, yeah revenating the castle and when he puts yeah, the that's, that's a the, key part in the story there when the, yeah. the cat when he buys it and all that duh I'm fucking like, but the <laughs> like prob- understanding. <laughs> but the problem is with that part of the narrative, and which I've been been confused too, is that when he buys the castle, he's in human form, like he's back to like normal human form. So if he's changing yeah. back into the Joseph Cotton that we know by renovating, but he was already in that state before he bought the castle. He didn't even do the renovations yet because he wasn't in the castle yet. We, clear, kind of a, a, we yeah. clearly saw him at the at the auction in which it was all rigged. Like he bought he bought all the shit, but he was already in that form. Which is to why I always thought the supernatural like him coming back and killing was how he got into this normally this normal state. Yeah. Not the castle. But the castle does make sense, even though when you look at it from this angle, it doesn't really, because he does make a point of and I will say that he renovates that castle within like days. <laughs> Right. That's all it takes. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. But I love the torture chamber, like the the, the dungeon and the, the actual aesthetics of this film are fantastic, man. And those bodies hanging out in the in the front, all oh, those it's fucking cool, man. Some cool death scenes in this, though. Really good death scenes. But I think the I think the actual narrative is a little bit nonsensical, a little bit. But I like the way it plays out, man. I honestly wish that there was more because it starts out with a bang. Like he comes back and he starts like 
proto slashing people, you know, and killing people in violent ways and shit like that. And then there's a big lull in the middle of the film, though. Right. There's a big lull. Then we get, uh, you know, the stuff with the castle and, you know, other things that are developing and stuff. And then the third act is really cool, too. The third act is actually quite trippy the way this thing ends up. But um, I don't know, man. I like this one. I I just wish there was a little bit more kills, to be honest, because it starts out like that. You're going to get this in abundance of kills and shit. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's only really a couple that they show on screen. But yeah, the pacing's a bit clunky, but it's it. I, as a massive fan of Bob, like I'll sound redundant just because you, you say the same things. So there's all, you're always going to have like great locations, cinematography. It's going to look amazing. The atmosphere. Um, yeah, it's definitely not one of my faves of his for sure, but I still, yeah, I still love it. Yeah. I think that, like I said, though, I think that this one could have just been, if it was shortened up with a few more on-screen kills, I would like even, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like you have to see all these, you know, these kills that, you know, these people are fucking hanging from, what do you call that anyways? I guess they're impaled on, I don't even know what they're impaled on. It's just a spike, but it's, it's, it's hung from the castle in a strange way. Like yeah. I said, it's just like a weird take on Vlad Dan Paler, right? It is. It, it totally is. And I like that scene actually, when they look up to like, man, those bodies those look, look real. Those look really real. <laughs> and I'm like, and then they zoom in and make sure they go back for like two takes. They're like, it's yeah. real. And then they're like, it really is real. You're like, I got it. I got it. I saw it the first time. There's a great scene too of her, of him uh, chasing. We haven't mentioned her yet. The lovely LK summer who, you know, through like the, the fog and shrouded uh, streets. That's a nice standout scene. Uh, that's probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Yeah. I actually have that written down. I like that they just squeeze in a random murder of like a tramp. Like he kills a doctor, then there's a tramp. I was like, what was the point of killing that guy? Like they barely mentioned him in passing. Like, and that tramp hasn't come back yet. <laughs> I can't fucking mention that. It was pointless. Right. He kills like three or four people right right away, doesn't he? He kills the doctor, the tramp. Yeah, it's and quick. Then, yeah. he goes back and he he kills. Uh, he hangs the guy and he kills Picazzi too. And the and the, what the hell do they call that thing? That's a great this, kill. The spikes and the, the coffin with the spikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing looks pretty awesome, man. Like slams it down, and you're just like, oh shit, man, that's pretty good. It's this could kill. have been a franchise if you think about it, because he's got all the weapons he could ever fucking want, and he's gross looking and just constantly dripping blood. I mean, he's a great slasher villain if you think about it. Like wherever he goes, there's a trail of blood. He mm. has uh, endless weapons to use on people, and he has a castle. Could it's, have been cool. It's very true. It's very true. Yeah, I mean, if they, if if Baba was around when the slasher craze came in in '76, you know, kind of thing, and you know, it, this would have been a, this could have been like a, a Halloween franchise, man. <laughs> it really could have. <laughs> Baron Blood. Where the fuck's he gonna go though? <laughs> like hitchhiking, just a trail of blood. Right. <laughs> got it all over my upholstery. You fucking asshole. He just like puts his head in a fucking vice. That, 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 that's how every movie starts there. up. They conjure him up again somehow, and then the blood starts flowing, and he's back. <laughs> right. You know there'd be barren blood in New York City. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's renting an apartment, and the guy below is bitching because the blood's just constantly flowing. He's like, anyway, I'm trying to. He's like, what is this shit? What's this red paint? I'm renovating this apartment building to make it my old castle. Right. I really don't have much to say about this gun one. I'm sorry, guys. Like, it's just not. It, I mean, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's just not as deep as whipping the body. No, I think you're. I think you're right. That's why I kind of. No, it, it, it's. I know there's slasher elements, but I kind of just look like a, just a monster movie, really. Yeah. Yeah, monster slasher film, and that's really what it is. I mean. 
there's a confusing you know, reveal in it, <laughs> you know, a little bit. You but. know, it's really dumb. Like, it should be very obvious that Joseph Cotton was Blair and Blood. But while watching it, I never even guessed he was Blair and Blood. I was like, oh, I guess they can only afford him for half the movie. <laughs> he shows up in a wheelchair. And I was just like, oh, I forgot he was in this. He's all cheery and shit, smiling, looking like he's from some 50s fucking beach party movie or some shit. Uh, although he wasn't in those, but I'm just saying, he's like, I don't know. So like, I was happy to see him in the movie when he showed up, but I never, I was like, I guess it makes perfect sense that he's barren blood, but I just really never took the time to think about it. I just, you know what I mean? It, it, it does upon thinking back on it, but when you're, when you're watching it, cause you're thinking this like monster creature and shit like that. You're like, why the fuck would this guy be when we see Joseph cotton? He's like, he's all human and shit. looks all normal. Yeah, and then they, they have that wheelchair. reveal too. They're like, it's gotta be him. Because he's not attacked. He's the only one that stays in the castle by himself that's not attacked. But it's that classic reveal where, like, when you find, when, you know, when it actually is fully revealed to you, like, he starts walking down the stairs and they're all, like, looking at him like, oh, he's walking. (laughs) This this one's kind of like Scream of the Dream Lover or Demon Lover. If anybody's seen that one from 1970, kind of reminds me of that a bit where there's, like, a Jekyll Hyde creature in the castle picking people off. I can see that. I can't remember, remember if I one? watched it. that one, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, that was for 1970. I watched that one. Yeah, that has some similarities. I think yeah. this one's better, though. Yeah, it's got all the it's got all the classic Bava stuff, man. It's got good atmosphere. Locations are fantastic. The acting's really good in it and stuff. It's got, the, the you know, when he's Baron Blood creature, man, he looks fantastic. I, I, honestly, I wish I had seen it just a tad bit more because he looks so fucking amazing. Yeah, for sure. It's just it's like a crazy looking creature, man. It's nuts. Um, he's kind of like the better version of the meatball zombies in Nightmare City, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know they're not zombies, but I hate when people are like technically they're infected. Technically, eat a dick. That I always say that. I, that's my argument with. Who cares? Uh, who gives a fuck? I always do that shit, man. <laughs> the same fun. guy who bitches about the period piece movies. Man. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this movie has atmosphere. That's not a zombie. That's an infected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, but but you know, most movies where people have the argument of like zombies and infected and stuff, I think it's like there is movies where they specifically tell you that they're not zombies and that they actually just are infected. And people are like, nah, they're fucking zombies. Like, whatever. Whatever. I don't care. They literally tell you that they're just infected. But. They all fit the same genre for me. Yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, like, like I always said, the only argument that I feel is is kind of like a fail-safe when it comes to the zombie versus infected. The zombie, to me, is something that is resurrected it's from dead. the dead. And an infected quote unquote zombie or infected person is someone that's living like me and you that get a fucking COVID-19 where we're infected, you know, yeah, and then you they definitely go, have to die first. Technically that's, that's the only argument that I feel is appropriate for that conversation. It's like, um, what's the, what's the fucking movie that we always use as an example? Um, the modern infection 28 days later, 28 days later, that's a great example. And that's kind of what started the whole argument is that like people are like, oh, these crazy zombie movie. And I'm like, actually, it's it's fully a virus movie. It's an infection movie because yeah. they state that it's literally a rage virus that makes people go fucking nuts. Like they never died. They're still alive. So that was the only argument. I was like, if you're if you're resurrecting or if you're coming back from the dead, like in Return of Living Dead, those are zombies. 
Yeah, but there's a dozen different kind of zombies. Right. You I got mean, the voodoo zombies, you got the coming from the grave zombies, you got the Romero zombies, and even Train to Busan, they get bit and they technically die. And then they, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think if but you technically don't. die and you come back to life, I think that's pretty fail safe on the whole zombie argument. Because I feel like if you have a virus and you're still alive, you could probably be cured. Right? Those yeah, it's the same thing with vampires. Sometimes the vampires are alive and sometimes they're dead. But they're still vampires. But are they alive, though? Yeah. <laughs> I am legend. Half of the vampire. That's the whole story. Half of them are alive and half of them are that dead. Is, that is true. That is true. But then there's different mythologies behind vampires. And that, same that's, thing with zombies. That's the one thing about vampires that I've always found really interesting is how it's always explored in movies about, like, certain vampires will laugh at the fact that, like, you are, you're holding up a cross to me. I'll grab that from you right now and stab you in the eye, you know? And every, and it, every movie plays with it, too. Like, even at the Lost Boys, it's like, well, the garlic. Uh, garlic don't work, little buddy. That's Try right. holy water. The gar- and that's what I love about because the, the mythology is like whatever you want to make the lore right? that's how i feel there's about no zombies. rules there's no that's rules what to i feel it. about zombies so when some people are like they're infected i'm like yeah but if they're mindless and they're violent, i just feel like if you want to get real technical if you want to do modern zombies like the romero zombies are technically rising from the dead like they were dead people that started walking right that's kind of the point uh, there's yeah. no actual reason to why they were doing it besides if you use the the logic of well hell was overflowing and you know the dead's got to go somewhere right or the or the bacteria from the the satellite right or that yeah i mean you can get yeah and there's no answer there isn't i think the more the more broad the better you know right yeah yeah i don't i mean this is this barren blood was not a zombie though no well maybe was he a ghost or was he a zombie or was he cursed he definitely had some type of powers though because he came back which which is explained because he was supposed to come back and and be suffering again yeah, but that, but they that, tortured him to death for what he did. But that's the whole thing that, that that's interesting about the film. It's confusing because, like, the fact that he's able to get out of that curse a little bit, right? You know, and and, yeah. and go back to like his, you know, his human Is it form. Is because they burned it? They burned the the curse letter. Yeah, well, that's why they couldn't get rid of him the easy way. Yeah, but maybe that's why he got to become human again. Maybe. I don't know. Actually, don't, we're fucking. That's actually a good point. What do you think, Tom? Maybe <laughs> because they did burn it. Maybe because they nice point. maybe did help him come back to human form. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot we of different asked. ways of explaining it, but we are trying to explain this movie more than it probably. Not that it's bad, but probably deserves. Right? It's I mean, good. Con- they didn't think for, for sure. It's decent conversation because a lot of this stuff is open for interpretation completely. Right, they kind of roll with what they're doing, and it's not really fully explained, but it's entertaining. I, I've always been entertained by this movie. Would watch entertain is is the great, the perfect word for it. Yeah, yeah. With all his standard traits that you know fans yeah. of him love so much. Yeah, and the yeah, like you mentioned before, the the scene where she's running through the the streets and stuff and the kind of narrow streets. That's a great scene, man. That's like I, vintage, I like, vintage Mario Bava right there. I do like the professor too, the uh, guy's uncle. He's a good guy. Yeah. yeah, like I like he's probably the best guy in the movie, like the best character overall. You know, the most likable. All right. Well, I don't really have a whole lot more to say on it. You guys want to add yeah, anything before we get into? I mean, we talked about the kills, the the oddness of the narrative. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Dave, you can go first. Um, yeah, I was at like a seven and a half. I'll give 
this is seven, which is a, a rating that means I like it. I'd watch it again. It could go up, could go down. So seven, seven is a good rating. Mm, yep, I'm actually at the exact same rating. I'm sticking with my seven rating. That's what I had before. I think. Tom, yeah, I get a seven five. Seven point five. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, that sounds good. All right. So that is uh, going to conclude Baron Blood from 1972. Hi, I'm Joe Dante. Um, one of my favorite Mario Bava movies is Lisa and the Devil. All right, so moving into the third and final film here, Mario Bava Volume 2. From 1973, we have Lisa and the Devil. Yes, we're going to be doing the Lisa and the Devil, the original cuts, not the uh, revamped AIP version, uh, House of revamped Exorcism. Revamped too, too, too much of a positive word. Yeah, it... It's been a while since I've seen it, but man, I tell you though, I, I just remember being like, "What the fuck did they do to this movie?" I would say the the butchered version. Yeah, right, right, and it, it was solely done just to, you know, bank off of The Exorcist, which was very common in those times. All right, so Lisa and the Devil. Quick synopsis: A tourist spends the night in a derelict Spanish villa, seemingly held in the supernatural grip of an eccentric butler who resembles a depiction of the devil she had seen on an ancient fresco. Okay. The, the word for wall or painting? I don't know. Meryl? Um, yeah, this movie's got a pretty interesting cast, man. We got Telly Savalas, who plays Leandro, um, a.k.a. the devil, which I think is kind of like beyond perfect, I'm a big Telly yeah. Savalas fan. I just think he, it's like perfect casting to me. Just that's a great person to cast as like a devil type person. Yeah. Uh, Summer in this one. for the devil. Yeah. We got Elkie Summer in this one. Um, who else is in this film? Gabrielle Tinty. Yeah. Gabrielle Tinty, man. This is one of his, I, I don't know if it's an earlier role, but I know he did like so many Emmanuel films, didn't he? <laughs> that yeah. guy, like, he was oh. married to Laura Gebzer until he died. That's why I didn't even put the connection together. That completely makes sense. He died why of cancer he was, or something. He died was, younger than he should have. Yeah, he was like in his 50s when he died or something like that. But yeah, no, Gabrielle Tinty was in tons. He doesn't really have a... I liked him. Me too, man. Me too. He's got that kind of look. I just re- recently watched him in Endgame. Did you check out Endgame yet? I've so, seen Endgame before, the Jody Amato movie. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, man. That's yeah, fun. But George Eastman's in that too. Yeah. yeah. With uh, your doppelganger. Yeah. And I actually yeah. recently watched him in um, Women's Prison Massacre too. <laughs> yeah, with Laura Gebzer. He's also in uh, Death Occurred Last Night from 1970. He was in Killer Fish. No, he wasn't Killer Fish. I'm sorry. That was Anthony Stefan. Yeah, that's Anthony <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> yeah, but needless yeah. to say, he's one of those guys that just pops up in like a ton of Italian films and shit. So he's got a smaller yeah. role in this one. He just plays like the chauffeur who basically is fixing a car the entire time before he ultimately ends up dead. <laughs> and and banging his boss's wife. Oh, yeah, and banging his boss's wife. But uh, So what are you guys' thoughts on Lisa and Devil? Dave, we'll start with you. Since this first time watch, what were your thoughts on Lisa and the Devil? Um, I enjoyed it. It was a nice little fun gothic movie. Uh, I love Telly Savalas myself, and I like that he had his trademark sucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, it's confusing. The movie throws you right in and you're just like, who the fuck's this guy approaching her? And then like it puts her in such a weird situation and like, you don't register everything that's going on until the very end. And you're like, well, kind of spoiler. It's some sort of purgatory. Really? They're fucked right when they're there. They're fucked right when they get to the house and they may already be, it's one of those things where it's like, 
their faith was sealed. You know what I mean? In that kind of way. Uh, I want to mention two more cast members. The, uh, the, the husband, the rich guy, he's, uh, the bad guy in Django, the, the, the KKK guy. Oh, right. The, the yeah. Recognized right. him right away. Yeah. And, uh, the mom is actually from eyes without a face and Suspiria and a handful yeah, Alita, of Alita Valley. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Valley, man. Very memorable. She's great. She just has yeah, one of those got, faces. Got, like you can never forget her face. Like she looks like younger than stuff. she is or something. It's weird. I don't know what it is. Something about her look, man. Oh, she was just in uh, the one I watched called It's Nothing Mama. It's just a game with David Hemmings, which is an excellent movie. I'd recommend that. Mondo put that out. That's a really good movie. Right. But yeah, like uh, I was I was really happy with this one. Um, and, and just because mostly the reveal at the ending, um, like I want to get to the point where she walked out from the house and she had the ball with the kids and she was like, here, here, here. And they're like, no, you're a fucking ghost. You can get away from me, you ghost. And I was like, well, that's strange. And then when she gets in the plane, she registers, he's dead. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, I like, love the plane now, scene. Because yeah, the plane the scene others, is the essentially, that movie off, is, is, right? is, is the plane scene supposed to be just straight purgatory? Are they stuck in the middle or? Um, well, they're it, not escaping for sure. Yeah. Cause like, I, I think it's, it's a little, it's a little bit ambiguous ambiguous i think as to what but i mean they're obviously dead the only the I, I love the narrative in this movie i think it's really crazy it's just it's one of those movies i feel like if you watch once you probably need to watch again right yeah, I, you, I could use it again right that's the like, first thing i was gonna say is i i've watched this movie so many times and like even like the most recent time i watched that it's one of those ones i just love it even more with each viewing right right i i feel like i'm the exact same way with this movie too man I, the first time i watched this movie i was super hella confused man i was like because I'm thinking to myself, going, okay, Telly Savalas obviously somehow wheeled her into this situation and stuff. And, and like how the dolls play into the whole thing, it, it's a little bit, they don't really explain it overly too much, but there is a scene in the film where Telly Savalas is explaining a little bit of why he's there and what he's doing uh, when she's passed out, right, on the uh, on the bed or whatever. She's dressed up as Elena. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of... <sighs> I don't think it's fully explained, but it has something to do with like the reason why he's doing the doll or making the dolls and stuff. It's like, I don't really know how to put it into words. So do you think it's hard to explain? I, in my mind, I know what I'm saying, but I can't get the words up. Right. It's one of those things I have a hard time explaining with this movie because the dolls represent, it's like the life cycle. So you, you create, the, you, you make these dolls and stuff and it's representative of their death and they, they're kind of forced to like relive their deaths and stuff. It's almost hard to explain. They're like ghosts, right? They must be, they're dolls, but they're ghosts. They must relive the moments yeah. over and over again. That's why when they see her, I they think call it's her symbolic to the, 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 yeah, it's like almost symbolic. It's like, that is f- what, yeah, it's really hard to explain. I don't know how to, ex- do you know how to explain this better Tom? <laughs> Like I don't, and sometimes too, like with Bob and he's he, people say this about like he'll he'll throw like vision, not just visuals, but like elements like that into his films just to poke the viewer a little bit. You know what I mean? It could just throw you off a little bit. Yeah, and that yeah. could be an element of that. The, the the one thing about this movie is always confused me though. I mean, if um, so if they arrive at this house, are they supposed to be dead already? Because I, I honestly think that I'm thinking while watching it, he is the devil figure, right? And each one. Has, has already possibly done this and it's in a loop or they must commit a sin to lose their soul and her sin was the husband in the very beginning that guy she killed and there there must have been a history between them or something like and uh, of course the wife kills the husband and i believe the husband killed the chauffeur 
So yeah. it's just right. like it all matches up to where like they all kind of made their own fate, right? They made their own beds and they all kind of end up in hell. Right, know. right. So I think basically him being the devil, he knows that these sins are going to be committed. So they're all brought there and this is what's happening and stuff. And then the dolls are kind of, you know, you create the dolls and then it, it, that's like symbolic to them having to relive their deaths over and over again and stuff. It's a really strange narrative. It's really, really strange. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain, but obviously the house is haunted because the kids don't want to go near it. And when she comes out with the ball, that, that part reminded me of the others, like the reveal of the yeah. others is yeah. mind blowing. And that whole scene was, it's just like, Oh shit. Like what if you didn't know you were a ghost? Yeah. Cause it's, I, people are always worried about a ghost haunting you, but what if you were the fucking ghost? That's I, even scarier. I always took it like, you know, these people were, see, I've thought about it in different ways. I always thought that, okay, so they had to arrive at this house dead, you know, like we don't get to see what happens, but we get to see their sins, from this aspect right and then and it kind of plays itself out like that but like there's i think there's different ways of looking at this though because yeah, this this film perpetuates your own interpretation which i just love because and that's the thing because like, when she gets off that bus like she's with this group of people and stuff like she's alive she didn't die between you yeah, know falling right. off and there's no one later on that's what i'm saying and and plus she gets into this car with these people like she's alive like she clearly was alive like nothing happened to her between getting off that bus and getting into that car and then ultimately finding themselves at the death house i mean what else can you call it it's almost like the gateway to this time continuum of life and death right Remember they, they show the scene where the clock you know the stop the okay hand, the stop okay i'm glad that. that you brought that up tom aren't the clock scenes and i know i know um dave you could probably relate to this too because i'm pretty sure you'd remember this movie but faulty's house of clocks wasn't there right. so Actually, many similarities the to that horror movies i haven't seen Oh my God! House of Clocks. No way, really. I House swear. Clark, Sweet House of Horrors and Touch of Death are the only three horror movies from Fulci I've never. I actually seen. love House of Clocks. Man, House of Clocks yeah, is I a have great made-for-TV movie. Them. Out of the two, Sweet House of Horrors and House of Clocks, watch House of Clocks. Yeah. yeah um, I was sure. waiting for Blu-rays at this point. You know what I mean? It's been so long. I was holding out for them. But I'm yeah. telling you, man. I'm telling you, Fulci. I'm not saying you know wasn't influenced by, or he probably was influenced. But there's so many scenes with clocks in this movie that I fully can like i can just see in house of clocks like there's a these similar shots and stuff and i i don't know i, I just completely I see similarities to house uh by the cemetery too because house by the cemetery is almost like a fate like when right. you get the right. house, you're fucked and it's just a like right. a haunted you know what i mean like i feel like that too that's why i get i get triggered like um you know and i guess you would expect this from me moods to have me come on talking about baba but i always feel like probably to a fault on like pleading my case to, to right to say he's like the best but this is influence obviously the obvious ones are you are gentle on the cinematography stuff but and then he'll, he'll get his credit for like bay of blood and this you know prototype slasher stuff but just even as you watch his catalog and bringing this stuff up um just what you just said but also for example just like later in the film there's that great set piece of of everyone kind of dead at the table um, if you guys remember at the dinner table, how many slasher films? How many slasher I mean, how films? How many times like, have you seen that after in, in like slasher films? Like Happy Birthday just, to Me, I was, even yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Happy Birthday to Me. You go through his catalog, you just see all these, whether filmmakers admit it or whatever. But I just don't feel he gets the, you know, the the credit he Dude, deserves. And I, as you go through his catalog, you just pick up more and more. The obsession with dolls too and puppets was definitely a Bava deal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as well. A lot of people do it, but I mean, like, I feel like he did it. For for maniac for sure, right? Right. We know that Lustig like like Argento and Argento liked Bava, so 
And I'm well, sure I that mean, Lustig loved Baba too. Yeah, the mannequins throughout all, but there are in so many yeah. of Baba's films. Is it just like, is that like a universal thing with mannequins and dolls and stuff that they're just like everyone's in agreement that they're just creepy as fuck. If you throw mannequins and dolls into like, especially in a narrative like this, where there is scenes in this film where it does switch back. Like the one scene where she ta- she's talking to uh Telly Savalas out in the, out in the, um, the courtyard or whatever it is. And he's holding the doll and it's clearly the, you know, the made up version of it. And then all of a sudden it switches yeah. to the real face. Yeah. Like that's yeah. done on purpose and it's creepy as shit, man. And it's subtle. And the correlation between models and mannequins, you know, there's nothing oh, yeah. there except beauty and yep. the clothes that are on them. You know what I mean? Just a vessel for whatever. Which is hatchet so. for a honeymoon, obviously would be a bit, yep. you know, right. That, that's that. the biggest inspiration for maniac right there. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's essentially. A yeah. It's the, the psychology of it, right? It's the psychology and yeah. the, the dolls and stuff. But, but, but like Dave mentioned earlier, like right from the get go of this film, when she gets off the bus, you're just, I mean, she gets kind of like, I'll be right back to her friend. And then it just immediately gets lost. And just right from the start, you're kind of put in this kind of strange world. There's like this, like bewitching whimsy to it, you know? And it's just, so maybe that is the moment. Maybe that is the moment. That's what sealed her fate right there was, was getting off that vehicle and then, and then being like in the, in the netherworld. You know what I'm saying? It's like she gets off this thing and then she can't find her way back because there is no way back. She stepped very, into her very fate. Dream logic, she's, right? Oh, it's nightmare very, logic. but it's, it's yeah. all, it's all nightmare logic, man. But she literally steps into her fate. Those are the nightmares you have too, right? Like getting lost somewhere you're unfamiliar. Oh yeah. With and just yeah, walk around make like me uncomfortable, just empty streets. And there's no, obviously that's been done a million times in horror as well. But. Oh, who, who could kill a child? Um, oh man. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Empty streets. You know what's the, the one thing we haven't actually mentioned in this film is like the under the underlining of like necrophilia and shit in this film. It, it's kind of an interesting undertone because it's not really out in the forefront, obviously, if it's an undertone. But but with um, the the character that she supposedly looks like, right, yeah. and and the body that's in the bed and stuff, and like the body's still there, and he clearly like there's this very awkward scene where he drugs her, and he's yeah, about he's to- trying to like clearly like you know dry humpers yeah well he, i think he, he starts crying then laughing and then he looks at the you know the, the skeleton next to him that's a great scene yeah man and it's like it's weird it's like the weirdest odd rape scene of all time maybe <laughs> but it's like implying that like he was doing this with the other body and like that necrophilia thing. it's very strange it's very strange that you know there, but really yeah. oh really fucked up the last podcast guys mentioned that carla homolka and Paul Bernardo were actually watching this movie. They read no. this one as the what? movie they referenced when they poisoned Carla, uh, knocked out Carla Homolka's sister. Uh, no way. I'm actually quite surprised yeah. that this movie never got fucking banned just because of that shit right there, because they are, yeah. <laughs> That's what an anecdote. Damn. But I, they referenced that as a, uh, in the podcast last podcast, they said an exorcist ripoff. I've never heard that. And, and obviously, the obviously they're pretty big news. <laughs> but around. it was later around canada but that's like weird that. isn't it yeah that is fucking strange that's yeah nice. I, I took note of that when they said that i was like oh shit least in the devil that's that's kind of funny and there's this funny notes like oh, the finally movies. bob gets credit right yeah <laughs> like uh the guy in thin blue line the movie he was watching at the drive-in was swinging cheerleaders by jack hill and if it would have been more exciting he would have stayed and he would have never got hit with that double murder wow. <laughs> what he did do? so fucking jack hill got that guy in trouble <laughs> That's just funny. I'm a sucker like, for those cheerleader movies, man. Ugh. Yeah, but no, that's just weird that they were watching Lisa and the Devil. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. I did not know that. That's really crazy. I believe that's the that's the night they did that. They mentioned that. So you know, I always find it so intriguing because, like, 
you know, when you hear these stories of people doing hideous things and stuff and then blaming it on music or, or movies or shit like that. And then you hear shit like that and you're like, whoa, maybe there really was straight influence from that. I mean, obviously it's not though, because you don't just go and do shit because you saw it on a fucking on a movie well, and it, stuff like that. It just, it, they just happen it's, to be watching. It's, it's in there, you know. It's just if it wasn't going to be that, it was going to be something else, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this, I mean, we talked about how nonsensical like Baron Blood was at times, but this is definitely his most, you know, narrative-wise arbitrary and surreal film. And Dave, definitely give it another watch because I think you'll. See, I like you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it the first time, and, and, like, it took a while. Like, and then talking about it right now, actually, it's making it go up a little bit more. Like, it's it's more interesting than you think. Yeah, there's a lot of different elements. And we got to mention the location, too, that that house is amazing inside and out. It looks so cool, man. It's so cool. Which, again, is a staple for all his films. The locations are just amazing. And also, the kills are, I want they're not really gory, but they're pretty, you know, there's the one, um, I love when she runs the car over her husband like five times that's what i love oh, about that, that scene i was gonna mention that's such an overkill yeah, <laughs> like, it, like literally an overkill like she kills him right away and she runs over the body like five times oh that's great it's just and then so the, insane the, the one, one then she actually gets clubbed pretty violently they again they don't really show a lot but the the aftermath her face is pretty gnarly and then there's the i love when telly's uh putting pushing the guy in the cask and he like cracks his ankles dude that's oh, get a, him in the cast that's yeah, my favorite there. that's my favorite part in the whole th- you know what that shit reminds me of man it reminds me of uh yeah i guess i, I wasn't actually i was thinking Sorry. for some odd reason it reminds me of phantasm it, it reminds me of that like weird oh, yeah. outer world strength where you know the the, the classic scene yeah. where michael sees um you know uh what's um the uh, tall man yeah he the picks up man. the coffin and he picks up the coffin that's what it reminded me of this unworldly like strength and shit like that and yeah. uh that instantly reminded me maybe it's a maybe it's a direct um influence to coscarelli there i don't know but i love that scene when he breaks and he's like oh sorry <laughs> yeah. it throws a little bit dark comedy into the film too and there's multiple <laughs> got, scenes this, where it's yeah. implied that telly savalas is the devil and he has a sense of humor and I'm just like, oh my god, it's so dark. It's way darker than you think it is. But it's just, I just think the film has something for it. Well, for all okay. So fans, the difference know? between this movie and Baron Blood, when it comes to like logic and you know narratives and 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 just understanding narratives and stuff, where Baron Blood, I think probably could have used some explanation in certain areas just for the viewer and stuff. Cause I mean, it made for a good conversation, but we, we also, there is a lot of things to be desired within that narrative. But when it comes to nightmare logic within films, and I'm talking like Fulci and stuff, cause let's face it, Fulci's logic in his films isn't there. Like there's no logic. Like it's, that's called nightmare logic for a reason. And it works. You don't have to explain things away because it's nightmare logic. I feel like that applies perfectly to this. And this is a, you know, Fulci is a direct result of movies like this right here, where there's a lot of things happening and you can, you can try and decipher what's happening. Like, is this purgatory? Is it, were they already dead? You know, you know, is, are they in a time continuum based on their, their life and death cycle and, and all this type of thing, which I think a lot of that stuff's happening, but, but uh, when it comes to nightmare logic, I, I don't see how you can argue against it and be like, no, you know, you try to make logic out of it and shit like that. It doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. I mean, like someone can't be like, why didn't they leave? It's like they can't fucking leave. They tried to leave. There's nowhere to go. They just in a fucking circle. You know what I mean? Right. Also, maybe they died in that plane. Maybe. Yeah. That's, that's, that's something I thought of like the second, third time I watched it. Cause like the plane, you could, you could go that way. And then they kind of like, I just feel like their fates are set, like, because, you know, when she gets off that tour bus thing and then all of a sudden she can't find her way back, I think it was like, 
it was like stepping into that never world. You know what I'm saying? It's like it was already predetermined. Did she like die on the? Did she like die on the plane to get there? And then, and then we're, we're just seeing why right after she gets off the it's, nothing happens because it's all you know no one's there so it's, it's kind of like there's a lot of different awesome ways you can look at it totally totally yeah. and, and that's what i love about it because i don't think there's any right or wrong answers to here at all i think it just depends on how you look at it right but i mean a lot of people feel like you know fate is a real thing like you're you know you're born with a fate you know and, and maybe this is what these people was if you believe that shit i mean it could be one way of just looking at it too if you want to really try to decipher he, it through he touches, but. He touches on that a lot in his film just like with these character traits and stuff and people yeah. being born into certain families and like yeah you know even like hatchet for a honey honeymoon and then like your parents and all that stuff i think there's a lot of interesting right right I think it's definitely showcased here, man. It's just done in such an interesting way. But uh, yeah, it's it's a head scratcher, man. It's a, it's a really interesting film. I think it's definitely one of the more, oh man, just interesting films that he has done. I wouldn't say it's his best film, but it's definitely one of the more interesting for, in terms of like just thinking about things and just almost overthinking things. I, I like that about movies because they're fun to talk about in that sense. But it's a beautiful film though. It really is. And and that's one thing, like you can throw in these undertones of necrophilia and, and the whole movie is actually really damn dark. It's all about just death and, you know, proposed fate. Yeah. And it doesn't have a good stance on humanity. No, it they like everyone, each other. they're all cheating every, and everyone's yeah. shitty. Everyone's shitty. It's, it's, you know, it's about, you know, this, if you're bad, this is pretty much what's going to happen to you. And, and we're getting like, <laughs> it's kind of fucked Although up. I, like I most likable characters particularly bad. Yeah, well, I mean, but one of the more likable, and this is where it kind of confuses me a little bit because one of the more likable characters in the movie happens to be the devil. Is that saying something about the film in itself? <laughs> I mean, really, it, it's just incredible. But like I said, the casting is just outstanding. Telly Svalos fucking kills that role. He's so perfect for it. I love that guy. But great film. Yeah, I mean, I have no complaints about this one. It was very interesting, and talking about it was even more interesting and breaking it down a little bit. Doesn't it yeah, really make? Film. Doesn't it really make you want to watch the House of Exorcism now? No, J- just to see what they did. Yeah, I did want to watch it just to see how they added in the exorcism. I just don't understand how they could incorporate it in there with making it make any sense. Yeah, you should definitely watch it, but it, 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 I end up being just pissed off. <laughs> it's it's weird. Like I haven't watched it in a while. And I, I'm very, it's yeah, very it's been foggy years since I watched. Yeah. It's been foggy to me too. But like, I think, oh man, I might even get crazy and watch it tonight just for shits and giggles <laughs> just to see. Cause this is so fresh in my mind and like, be like, what yeah. the fuck did they do to this man? But I don't know, but, uh, cool film, man. Really cool film. Do you hear there's a remake coming out of this? Oh fuck. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah, he's no, got yeah, Dustin Ferguson's directing it. Oh, you're actually being serious. Oh shut up. No, you're not being serious. Dustin Ferguson? No. <laughs> you fucking did. As soon as you said that name, I was like, shut up. <laughs> it would be the worst thing ever. It's gonna be it's gonna be called Amityville Lease and the Devil. Yep. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, you almost had me going until you said Ferguson. I'm like, oh yeah, it's gonna be an Amityville fucking movie for this sure. This would be an interesting remake if you got a good director. I just don't think there's anybody else who could handle this without coming across like cliche and, and an it's, old hat. Any- it's gonna be the Amityville House of Exorcism. <laughs> it is like we don't like Lisa and the Devil. We like the House of Exorcism version. Yeah. It's not gonna be about the devil anymore. It's gonna be about never mind. I'm not gonna go any further. Oh man, so good. <laughs> 
Ah, good shit, man. Good shit. Um, you almost gave me a heart attack, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I do that a lot. I got I got Duncan once real bad because he's doing all those uh, what those like Italian. No, he's doing this slasher Italian. Uh, whatever he was doing, he's doing this slasher sets from the '88 films, and he's getting like really burnt out because ninety percent of the movies aren't slashers. <laughs> And I was like, oh, they actually announced the new new box set coming out, the, the 50th release. He's like, oh, really? Yeah. I was like, like it's actually going to be a re-release of the Puppet Master box set. Because <laughs> 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 he believed it. I just love doing that to people. Just bullface lying and then see how far I can get before they get mad. <laughs> That's classic. That's classic. Um, do you guys have anything else, Lisa and the Devil, that you want to... Who, who would you, you got to force yourself to stop because we could go on and on. Yeah, yeah. I I, I love nightmare like sure. the hallucination the hallucination scenes and I, I that's that type of stuff is just made for me, man. This Who's one a has good director. All the Do this. Oh man! If you had to pick a director, a modern day director. Uh, I would go with Robert alive. Eggers. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah, well, I want to go that way. Bagalana with a fucking budget. Oh yeah, that'd be nice. I'm trying to cast people, I don't think I can cast anyone in this. Eggers would be fine. That that's a good choice, though, man. I would trust him at least. Yeah, he's definitely very competent. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I can't think. Yeah, there's just who do you cast as the devil, man? Who who do you take over as Telly Savalas' character, Leandro? That's tough. Hard to replace. He's just like I don't know something about that. He's guy. irreplaceable. He is, man. He pulls All it off classes. so well, man. Very possible to. Yeah, yeah. That scene where he's doing the spiel is so amazing. Such an amazing. Well, scene. I love when he's got the the lollipop too. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't like half the movie. He's got a fucking lollipop. I like when he puts the lollipop in the top of the one of the mannequins' heads. Just for like safekeeping, takes it out and puts it back in his mouth. Those are some of the weirdest scenes to me in this movie. Is when like when the face breaks and then he's got to, and he's like blaming it. it's like oh it's got to be the glue and he's like he's <laughs> fucking gluing it up and shit and like the way he's doing it I'm just like this is creepy as shit man. It's very it's bizarre. It is bizarre. It's very entertaining in like such an odd like almost awkward way. You're like what the fuck am I watching? But it's so good. Not easy to jerk off to. <laughs> oh, definitely not. No. Yeah, it's that awkward necrophilia enough, rape scene. Socks. Yeah. I like to kind of match up my climax when the clock stops. Is that weird? <laughs> silent. We should all have. I think it was silent because we totally were in agreement with it. We're like, no, nah, that's not weird at all. It's not weird. No, I mean, it's called when the ambition. Clock stops. <laughs> I got nothing else to say. I'm I'm tired of shit, guys. I don't know if you noticed that. Well, I mean, I guess I go first on the ratings. I'm going to come in at a 9 out of 10 on this one also. I think it's uh, it's a really interesting, fantastic movie. Get you thinking. Get you thinking in lots of different ways, which is a good thing. So, uh, Tom. Probably like years ago or like the first couple times I would have saw it, it would have been lower. But yeah, at this point, it's it's a solid nine. Okay. Dave. Uh, I actually was at an eight, 
but I, I think I can give this an eight and a half because I think that there's actually probably maybe even more interesting stuff in this than whipped in the body. And I didn't see all that at first. Yeah. Like I saw some of it, but then like when I started talking about it, I was like, I guess I didn't, you know, I didn't even necessarily register the purgatory thing. I registered the ghost thing that she was definitely dead. Right. And a ghost to everyone else. And then like, like yeah. the, it's just really kind of crazy to think it's a mind fuck. Yeah. Kind of hard. Great to replay value. Yeah. The one thing that really gets my head scratching about this, there, there is, it's kind of implied that like, um, Leandro's character as the devil was like, he was almost like he owed the mum and the sons, the mum and the son something. He was in servitude, right? Yeah. Which hence him He's, being the servant. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you think about that. We were all pretty, pretty close on all our, our ratings. Yeah. Very, very close. Generally. It honestly doesn't really, I mean, sometimes that happens with me and Dave, but sometimes we're way off though. Yeah, like, like there's been times the where bar. we're like we're like someone's at a six and the other person's at like an eight and a half or nine. It happens. Yeah, and Moots hated the item, and I wasn't on that show, and I loved the item. Oh, the item, man! Oh my <laughs> god! Oh, that one was painful, dude. I don't know if you're having nostalgia for that thing or something because you said you hadn't seen it in a while, or maybe you just watched no, it or I've something. Seen that movie a lot. Okay. Yeah, I, that movie. Yeah, I wasn't 100 percent sure, but. Um, but yeah, I guess that's uh, that's going to conclude episode 216, Mario Bava, volume two, week three of Italian Horror Month, volume seven, man. Doing this for seven years. Oh, you know what, Tom? Before I thank you for coming on, I wanted to ask you something. And I've always wanted to ask you this, and I just thought of it right now. I always wondered about your nicknames, like the, the Headbanger and Horrorsball and stuff. I always wanted to know if that comes from the MTV show. It head absolutely ba- does. It from the head. Okay. I always well, wanted to know that because I used to watch, well, I, I remember watching, Oh shit. What was the second host name? Um, the first dude was there for like a year or two or something like that. And then there was a second guy. And I always remember those years. The R- Ricky Ratman. Or- yeah. I think he was the, was he the third one? Regis Feldman. There was a, there was yeah, there was, was qu- the there was quite a few hosts in that show, but I always wondered that because and it just dawned on me right now. I always wanted to ask you that, but that's cool. That that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a lot of people think it's an actual like physical ball. <laughs> like I'll get someone accidentally calling it like horror balls or something like. <laughs> really, horror nuts. That's my new. Yeah. That's my new. Yeah, I love I love that hor- channel horror balls. You know. Oh, Adam Curry. Okay, I had to look it up. Adam Curry. He was the guy. Yeah, he was host from eighty-eight from ninety. I don't know. I always remember that guy. I don't know for some reason. He was on from eighty-eight to ninety. I don't know. It's crazy. It wasn't even that old. The fuck was I watching this shit for? <laughs> but it was like MTV. Fucking much music, whatever. You're watching that shit as kids. So, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's interesting because I always wanted to know that. I always wanted to know that. And now it is confirmed. So, yes, confirmed. So you're obviously a big fan of the show. Probably definitely more in the later years when like more of like the the grunge st- started seeping in as opposed to like the hair metal, you know. So when like bands like you know, I'm a, my favorite band ever is Soundgarden. When that kind of like era came in, that was definitely when I was watching. When like Beavis and Butthead was on MTV, that was like my era. Right, right. So I wanted to ask you um, with your with your bands because your previous band was uh, what's it called? When she wept. Or she wept, yeah. And then the new band's name is 
How do you pronounce Sertraline. That's how you pronounce it. Okay. And so you guys do what type of movie music? Because I, I, I never want to offend someone that's in a metal band because there's like a million yeah. types of subgenres. Yeah. Like, do you exactly. do it's like, like movies, you know? Do you I do, guess you'd call it like post black metal, black gaze. Okay. Where we basically combine elements of like post rock, shoegaze, and black metal, basically. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because like I've heard very niche. some of the music that you've done, like that had in your videos. I'm assuming that's yours. It, to me, like I don't know, maybe just that one clip. It kind of sounds like almost like symphonic, like black metal or something like that. Um, do you guys use a lot of synth and stuff in your in the music? So the new one has no synth. Like where she wept, definitely keyboard was a huge part. That's what Shelly did in this new band. There's none of that. Shelly actually plays guitar, so we have three guitarists in this band. So it's definitely that like. Okay, wall so of sound. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I obviously I'd have to check out the news, but I love <clears throat> like symphonic type shit. Like I love synth, man. Yeah. Anything to do with synth is just like so cool to me. So, Sertraline, that's a medication for those that don't know. For uh, it's basically a generic Zoloft, which is antidepressant, anti anxiety medication, which I am on and which actually saved my life. Not to get too uh, deep and personal here, but that's what's yeah, so the medicine called? Uh, sertraline that's an off-brand Zoloft you said yeah exactly so it's kind of cool sometimes I'll get people who dig our, dig our stuff who's like yeah you know I'm, I'm on that stuff and your music actually helps me you know so that's kind of what it's all about really that's cool hmm that's very interesting because I had no idea how to pronounce it so I didn't want to pronounce it but now I know the meaning behind it so that's interesting yeah, that's good at least it actually has a meaning I mean, yeah. They just ask medicines to have like nicknames because <laughs> they're so fucking hard to say. Well, what happens is like these pharmaceutical companies, you know, they're just like, oh, Zoloft, and then other ones like, why we can just make the same thing and call it somewhere else, and everyone gets oh, the yeah, money. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Off, you never buy a full brand. You always buy the fucking B yeah. brand of medicine. You never pay full price. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool, man. Um, I'm gonna have to check that. Sh- check it. Where, where do you find? your music for the people out there that are interested we're on uh we're on spotify uh bandcamp's a little more of a underground thing but bandcamp spotify uh youtube how do you spell it just for people to know s-e-r-t-r-a-l-i-n-e what was the there is l-i-n-e just type it in so I can find it. You know, there is, for the record, there's a, a UK band of the same name. That's <laughs> oh, the first really? one I'm seeing. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're a little more successful than we are, but they are very different sound-wise. So. <laughs> yeah, Bandcamp, man. Do you guys do you guys sell physicals on, on Bandcamp at all? Yeah, you can get those on there. We're actually also on a small label, actually, out in your neck of the woods, uh, Moods. It's called uh, Hypnotic Dirge Records. Hmm. And they actually released a um, kind of like a box set edition of like our our EPs that we put out together in one. So you can find them on Instagram. And uh, where's the label located at? They're in. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna forget now. It, it's it's Western Canada. I just can't remember exactly. Oh shit! That's if crazy. it's BC or. It's got it. I mean, it's probably if it's in Western Canada, it's got to be based out of Vancouver somewhere then. Most there's tons of labels out of there, <clears throat> but I could be wrong. It could be somewhere in Alberta too. But interesting. That's really cool. That's really cool. <clears throat> um, 
so yeah that's awesome man so yeah physicals on bandcamp yeah i, I shop on bandcamp all the time because a lot of the cool. stuff that i'm into i have to i have to order straight through the artists and stuff right so, yeah and plus I, I would rather you know support the artist directly because you know yeah it's a huge part of my life and i understand what a what musicians go yeah. through to yeah you have a great collection so yeah you know all about that yeah spotify is good if you're just like playing it but yeah if you want to like support the artists themselves go to Bandcamp, and we at least get a cut of that right right yeah so make sure you go to Bandcamp so and support the artist music on Bandcamp. oh it's it's awesome it's all genres it's very easy to use you know very user-friendly yeah. and stuff and you can usually sample stuff and then you know pick what you want to buy vinyl cds whatever you want you can do digital it doesn't matter yeah, but support the artists through there. They do get way better cuts than if they were on a major. So, <laughs> yep, for sure. But uh, but yeah, man. So Tom, thank you for coming on, man. Um, that was really really fun. I was very happy to get you for Mario Bava because I knew he's your favorite thank director. You so much. Yeah, it was just it was great talking about Bava and stuff. And uh, hopefully we can have you back soon. Um, yeah, anytime you guys want it down. Hopefully they enjoyed the listeners enjoyed it and. Uh, yeah, it was just such a pleasure being on with you guys. You know, yeah, I it was awesome. you guys so much. Hell, man, if awesome. you're down for next week, man, you can come on and do some for, <laughs> audio for Grasso. Uh, yeah, talk, I mean, going from the best to... Let, to let's, let, let's just say even a better. couple shelves down. Yeah, a couple <laughs> shelves down in the collection. <laughs> right, right. All right, so yeah, maybe we'll see you next week for uh, episode 216, week four of Italian Horror Month. And this month always goes by super fast because I spend the whole month. I've already watched like, I think I'm like 30-something deep already Italian films this month. Some stuff I'm just rewatching. Other stuff I'm just checking out for the first time. Just some of the newer stuff I got be in. Shit, and... spaghetti! By the end of this, yeah, man, I, I I love it, man. I really, really love it, man. Um, Everyone, check out Across the River, which is like a, you know, one of the handful of great modern Italian films, which we were kind of discussing during the break. Um, if anyone's seen it or not, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but they also got that one that came out just this year, but classic horror stories, Italian, right? Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. You guys see it? I did. Yeah, it's I, not bad. I actually really Pretty enjoyed good. it. To be honest, it was uh, it was a lot better than I anticipated going into it. For some reason, it just the title was a little bit off putting to me. A classic horror story. I was like, really? Yeah, yeah. I did. I wasn't too big on it too. Yeah, and then the title, uh, but the movie itself is pretty good. Yeah, it was actually really decent for what it was. Yeah, um, check it out. So I, I did have a, a really good first time watch this month, and it was an Angel for Satan, um, the Barbara Steele film I'd never oh, seen before. That's a great movie. Oh, nice, it's a great movie. Yeah, if talk I, about great I, right there again I, with Severin. I always wanted to see this movie, and I believe it didn't. Even if it did have any de- uh, releases, they were probably pretty shoddy and stuff. And then Severin, was, I was like, finally, because it was one of the. I think it might have been Barbara Steele's last gothic movie that she did. And that, that yeah, I had it on a DVD, which was like pretty much one of those quickly out of print ones. It was on there with a couple of the other, like a uh, long haired death and I forget oh. the other film that was on there. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, a good watch. Good watch. I thought it was better than the one we did. Uh, long hair of death. Right. I thought it was better than that one. I love the long hair of death though. Yeah. Same here. I'm a big fan. No, which do we watch that one? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. just watched that one. Right? Yeah. Long hair. Yeah. Death, I, th- yeah. I, th- I thought angel of uh, Satan was a little bit better for me. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I probably, yeah, I mean, I like them both, but. I just think that uh, Angel for Satan had a bigger kind of like like superstitious small village type completely destroyed by this moment. I I love that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. And it also almost made me break down the part with the burning down the house. I was like, oh, fuck, man, that's dark. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I actually haven't watched the transfer yet, so maybe I'll do that this week. It's crazy, man. It looks nuts. Yeah, really good transfer, but 
All right. So yeah, again, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Tom, once again, thank you for coming on. Hope to have you Charles. very, very soon. Dave, thank you for showing up and fuck JP for not being here. Yeah. The new Jeremy JP over this motherfucker. <laughs> Jeremy Patrick. <laughs> Jeremy Patrick's his name. That was the funniest new poll ever. Cause uh, <laughs> Dave has been trying to convince everybody that JP is the new Jeremy on the show. <laughs> That's his fucking. I've not been doing that. I just been treating him like that. There's a no, difference. but it was coming across as if you were. That's why I call him Speak in that one intro, man. Because that's what we used to call Jeremy. <laughs> no one caught on to it, man. But that's well, because it's fucking. At the end of the thing, he fucking. We thought he was freezing up, but he just couldn't talk for some reason. He's like the music, hot. That's so true. All right, man. Uh, I think that's gonna do it for the show. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with, like we said, Claudio for grass. So we mentioned the films. So if you guys want to watch them, check them out. Check you guys later. In the name of Christ, I demand you to speak. Who are you? Where do you come from? Where do you come from? Where do you come from? From a cunt. You jerk.